Oh my gosh, I'm dying. You're on. Yeah, I know I'm on. Hey, this is Scott with Leading Edge Archery. With Bridger and Jason and our special guest, Mr. Jesse Jones. We'll introduce you to him in a minute. I'm sorry, sorry, but I'm dying. We are in Texas, right? South Texas? Yeah. Where the temperature is supposed to be above 50? It's not. And instead it's below like 20? Oh my My gosh. gosh. The low last night was 26 degrees. God damn. 19. The the other morning when I was at work, it was 20 degrees at 3.30 in the morning. This is bull crap. We have this thing here called cedar. And I I don't care how bad you think coronavirus is. Come down to South Texas and join our cedar fever group. It's Texas COVID. Yeah. Yeah, It's ridiculous. I am like miserable. Literally. So I'm not going to talk a lot today. Oh yeah, you are. No, you guys can take. You've got a lot on your mind because I'm dying. And my mic is like really light. Can we fix that sound? Maybe you're just really high. Yeah, I know from all the drugs that I'm taking. Anyhow, um, God, we haven't done a podcast in a long time. We, I told Jason, I know I kind of quit leaning back. So, folks, um, we got to start doing this more regular. We've had a lot of people actually call me. I've talked to a couple people in the last two weeks about content, content, content. So got to quit being lazy, especially we have a new editing guy over here, Mr. Braden Cummings. We can abuse him. Transfer of power. Transfer of power. Exactly. He's laughing. And he's blushing. And he's blushing too. Look at how red he is. It is hot in here. It is kind of hot. It's too hot. Sorry, sorry guys. There's four guys in here. Five guys. And and the hottest one is Bridger. So, hey, half of them are wearing winter gear. As you can see, I'm fixing to go shoot shit. Oh, wait, is this pot? (laughs) Yeah, you can say shit. No, my bad. You can say poop. So Jesse is uh, the super hunter of the group. Debatable. Otherwise known as Paige's husband. (laughs) That's true. Who's the super hunter of the shop. Yeah, there you go. Professional killer. What What do we want to talk about today? I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going so on. So I got I mean, a lot of I got a lot of feedback about not enough technical information anymore because we haven't really done a tech show in a while. Um, <clears throat> gosh, there's so much going on in archery right now. Today's first day of ATA show. Yeah, and I heard as far as when we're recording. Well, yeah, nobody's there. <laughs> nobody's there, dude. <laughs> I mean, the only people there are walking around with cell phones and saying cameras going. I have a hundred thousand followers. Yeah, give me free stuff. Check this out. Yeah. Look at this new bow. Yeah, we knew about it. I'm going to go ahead and say the AT, and I've, I've talked to so many reps about this, so I don't, you know, oh, maybe I shouldn't say it. The ATA is dying. Yeah, it needs to go away. Bridger's over there like, I can't believe who that is. <laughs> I mean, it does, though, seriously. It's, I heard from a couple people that are there that it's like, it's like dead. And I know one of our reps, who's a big, big rep, said that nobody out of his territory west of the Mississippi is going if it's a big shop. Like, not one. His big, all his big horses are staying home. Well, heck, a lot of people got stuck in the, and stuck on the highway because, what, Snowmageddon? Yeah, Nashville had, like, Snowmageddon. Snowmageddon. Yeah. I mean, the Interstate 65. Well, I heard that everyone's going to wait and go to Napa, which is in Vegas, what, in two or three weeks? It's like the week before the Vegas trip. Yeah, yeah, and just go there because it's beautiful weather. It's a great town. Instead of going to, I mean, no offense, but going to Louisville, Kentucky in January, you got to have your, I mean, that's just. I, I don't know why you think that it's like cold there. It's miserable. It's the same temperatures. As no, 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 no. Well, maybe now because for some reason, Texas cannot get rid of this damn cold weather. Yeah, but <clears> we didn't have any all season either. 
It all hit. So right here's what, season, you know, it's it. funny you say that. Here's what sucks about this. It's been freaking hot all year. We haven't seen no deer down here. It was 80 on Christmas. 80 on Christmas. And then season closes Monday, Sunday. And the next day it was what? 25 degrees. Monday on? was mm-hmm. freezing. And yeah. there were bucks running everywhere. It's so unless you had, you know, what do you need for MLD you, tags? North of, are there any kids out there that yeah, want to use their tags? Yeah. yeah just come up to leading a archery <laughs> and deposit your tags. Exactly. God, it's just suck. It's been a crappy year for that for sure. Honey's not been good. We saw one good deer at least, and I passed on it because yeah, I wanted to get bigger, but never seen him again. No, he, the neighbors took care of him. Trust me. So all the stuff that's going on, all the ATS stuff. Have you guys seen anything interesting? Any cool gadgets or anything? An ATA, dude. I'm I'm getting yeah. one of those. I'm getting Nobody one of those holders anymore. One of those string holders. Oh yeah, I mean. Honestly, it's it's a dumb idea, but it's smart. The I, the last chance, yeah, LCA deal. It's a dumb idea, but it is smart because I don't know how many times I pulled strings off. But and they untwist. Yeah, they spin out, or you know, it's a cool idea. I might get one of those. Is that the one where the guy, where Doug made fun of the what's his name holding the joint? With <laughs> yeah, Dude, that was yeah, so that funny. One. Yeah, that was so funny. I mean, we, it looks like a dental that. tool. It's three arm, like octopus arms hanging down with little clips on them can't you choose a bobby pin well i mean you can't it's not as cool it's not it's no. they're not dangling it's not bobby pins dangling off of flexible arms i'll make you a personal little octopus yeah but i saw that i saw the the magnifier with the with the selfie light the last chance came out with a whole bunch of stuff a oh, lot of I gadgets through, i haven't looked through yeah anything. i've seen like maybe one post i think ata like panned across their uh the new product section or whatever. Maybe I just need to drop all these Which, I mean, influencers I on my Instagram. The only thing I've seen was Levi Morgan's new Schwacker. It yeah, where the it's the glue and insert. They and they even made on. a and they even made a ready aim kill arrow. It's like the whole thing's ready to go. Oh, really? Yeah, they, that was kind of wild. With gold, tip. gold tip, tack, and tack mains and uh, Schwacker. Yeah, you buy you buy an arrow ready to go, ready to shoot. That's didn't. You would think that gold tip would have put Q two eyes on it. I bet that was a fight. Mm. Nah. Didn't they have that with Rage a couple years well, ago? Goldtip used to own, or I don't know if they still, or if uh, they don't own still Q2I. owns, not Q2I, but. Uh, Tack? No, what's the other? Raptor? Crap, crappy ones they used to always use. Vaintech. Oh, Vaintech. Yeah. I don't Vaintech's. know if, I don't know if, uh, <laughs> A, if they even make Vaintech anymore. They uh, do. Use them. Do they? Uh, They're good vein. Back in the day, they were the I vein. love those. I loved them. That's why I won World Cup finals with those on. Yeah. Really? I mean, you had to refletch them every three weeks, but. <laughs> You gotta do AEs the same way. So who not knows? if you don't group. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you don't, yeah, mine are you don't. mine are intact. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, no kidding. That was a good one. I like that. Um. Yeah, but ATAs. Gosh, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen to it, but there's a lot of talk about it going away. Yeah. I mean the party, <clears throat> the party side of ATA is fun. ATA at night. So are ATA they gonna, after dark. Have you heard? Are they still doing the tournament? Uh, no, they canceled that. Did they cancel the tournament? They canceled that months ago. I didn't know that. So it's just a trade show now. Mm-hmm. It'd be so. What's weird though, you haven't seen as many videos. Normally, right now, your phone is Dude, blowing it's up. All, normally, it's the only thing on my Instagram. And now, thing. there's hardly anything. I mean, you got to go look for it to find mm-hmm. it, which is kind of scary for them. I've seen a couple of videos, and that one was from like the PSC booth. Well, and didn't they just reelect a new president today? Uh, yesterday, they appointed somebody yesterday. Jeff or Jeff Poole. Was it Jeff? His name is Jeff Poole. Who is he? Apparently he's coming over. This is what I didn't understand. It might be just me being ignorant, but he's coming over from the NRA. 
That's weird. Hmm. Like bringing in 20, 30 years of NRA experience to an ATA. I don't know how that's going to work. If it works, it's politics. I don't know. I I guess at the end of the day, it it gets... The whole purpose of the ATA was to help the dealers. Mm -hmm. That's why they have it. There's a dealer network type program that helped dealers become, you know, put us all in one place, have a voice, help us, you know, dictate policy if you want to say dictate, but help us create policy around products and things. And then the HA just morphed into this big monster that they are today, which is, I think, a social media presence. Archery shot mechanism. Show. Yeah, archery shot show. That's all it is. And they don't really do anything for the dealers anymore. And, and maybe that's a, you know, I was talking to a couple of reps about it, a testament to the reps that are actually traveling and working. You know, they're going to see in their constituents, they're talking to their dealers, and they're selling all that product face-to-face. And I don't care what anybody says, that's a much more valuable way of doing it than going to a big trade show. Well, at least as, as far as a manufacturer to dealer yeah. relationship. Can well, and, and, the, and the other thing is timing. I mean, it used to be that we rolled out all the product this time of year, but, you know, everybody's backing everything up trying to get your dollars spent before mm-hmm. ATA now. And it's got it to the point now where it's so convoluted. You don't, it's everybody lost its luster. out with new products three, four months before Christmas ATA show even comes out. Yeah, exactly. Or ATA even starts. So I don't know. It's odd. And I don't I like, I'm sure, well, you've been to, or to shot show. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, shot show is cool. Oh, it's like, freaking really cool. It's, I mean, it's gangster. So, but the fact that ATA hasn't, you know, leaned into that a little more, I don't see why that would be a huge issue. Cause they've always been so like, uh, we're dealer only, uh, manufacturer only rep only, but, uh, buyer group only show. Yeah. But yeah, everybody and their, everybody and their dogs in there. Well, shot shows the same way. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I had a buddy just, of mine call me the other day. He's going to the Dallas Safari club. Yeah. He's just a guy. He's a hunter. You know, he's going there to book hunts and stuff. So I don't know if shot show is not shot show is the, the ATA show for guns. Correct. Except even that though there's huge. a lot more than just guns. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> it's, it's in, it's in Vegas. So number one location makes it big. Yep. Uh, to that hotel where they have it, it's like four floors well, they of do nothing but MGM, everything. Right? Uh, no, they do it at the, I think it's the Sands. Sands. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's all, but it's, cons- it's not consumer. It's not consumer. It's, no. yeah, it's driven by dealer. Yeah. I wonder if they have the same issue with all the ding. Oh, yeah. Social media. Oh, oh man, it's, it's worse. Are it's worse. There. Yeah. That's what's killing these shows, in my opinion. It's worse. And the thing with the thing with it's it's crazy because at at shot show, the majority of that stuff now is driven by social media. Mm -hmm. Like I was seeing some of the some of the stuff that some of the guns that we used to use in the military, and they came out with a new trigger on one of them. Well, they had some Instagrammers that went out and tested them, and that's how they tested them. Not even the military was testing; it was some gun influencer. Well, I mean, I like, okay. as, if you're a manufacturer wanting to sell a product, like that's probably the most efficient way to do it. Yeah, but you never know who you're going to sell it to. Let's be honest. The internet's the new marketing arm of oh, yeah. marketing, period. And that's, I guess, a hard part I'm having trouble with is that, and I've said this forever, especially, I'll speak for archery, I don't know about the gun side, but the archery side, you know, we put all these new bows in the hands of a guy who's got a, his litmus test is 18 inches. No offense, Jesse. But, you know, we put it in the hands of all these hunters that they go out and kill stuff. Mm-hmm. And now it's the greatest bow on planet Earth. And then you put it in the hands of somebody like Bridger, who does this for a living. Um, his let miss test is a dime. 
at 50 yards or a dime at 100 meters. And then you find out all the flaws. Mm-hmm. I mean, this happened to us so many times. I mean, I, I get, we get these bows in here like, you know, God, if you put this in the right guy's hands, you solve these problems beforehand. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, no offense, but these guys that are testing the bows beforehand, these hunters, I'll call them out right now. They suck. They, they're no good. Mm-hmm. They don't shoot well. They kill things. I can go kill things. Braden's sitting there and kill a lot of things. He can kill things. Um, because we have a pie plate kill zone. And that, if that's what we're driving the, the accuracy and how well that bow shoots, and dude, we got some of these manufacturers got a long way to go. Yeah, because that's just not what we do. That's not what we're looking for. Well, um, I think you've come a long ways just in bows, like from the '90s to now. You have, you don't have to be, is you don't have to be a target archer. You can set up a bow in a matter of hours and go out there at 80 yards. And generally, most people can't shoot 80 yards very well, but. Like you can go 40 yards and you can be in a pie plate right away. So you're good enough to kill something right, right off the bat. And oh, yeah. most people aren't going to notice all that little stuff. Like Bridger freaking modifies all his bows. What'd you do last year to the Encore? You put They're the, Bridgerized. The, the small cam <laughs> oh, on yeah, it. I put the, change the cams out, put that smaller cam on it. I mean, I just like, I'm a gear guy, so I like to mess with stuff. Right, right. Well, but, it makes it better. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't, but. I mean, we can come back to this later down the road, but that's yeah. actually something I wanted to. Talk about. Talk about today a little bit. Yeah, that'd be cool. But. Yeah, I mean, your average guy's not going to notice. Most people it. aren't going to notice that. But being it, but if you have stuff that's tuned to the point where you know, like myself or Scott or somebody you know that has been around archery their whole life and knows a lot of the ins and outs of every bow company, and make all that stuff not necessarily simpler but better, then it makes it that much better for the guy that you know doesn't know what the heck he's doing because. If it's easier to tune, it's going to be easier to shoot a group for them. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent, ninety percent of the time. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm not going. That's, that's a, and I guess that's the whole thing. And I that bugs me about it is just how we, how this industry, how they, I don't want to say test their products, but how they get the feedback, and then we as dealers that are selling, selling the damn bows for them, we're the we're the front line. You know, I think they should go in and take their biggest dealer in every state, send them the damn prototype bows before they go put it in. So and so's hands. We did that a little bit this year for we the did. first time, which was great. With yep. with, with one the, of our, yep. with, I mean, I don't care, if, or I don't know if we're allowed. No, we can. Yeah. Prime sent us the inlines before they released, and we were able to because hell, we figured out an issue with the the Nexus series last year mm-hmm. with their Flexus guard. It was a little too heavy, or one thing or another was a little funky with it, so it was giving us some extra vibration. We were able to narrow that down like in very a quickly. Yeah, exactly. And luckily, we didn't have any issues with the inline. No, it's actually that pretty we good saw, but I mean, for to send it to somebody, I mean, between Scott and I, we've got what fifty plus years of yeah, exactly. bow tuning experience, and exactly, then yeah. So I mean, and that's just two of us in the shop, let alone everybody else that comes in and is able to try bows out and stuff. That is correct. Our, you know, between all of us and all of our regular customers and staff shooters and yeah. stuff. So yeah, it just makes that feedback a little bit more credible than oh, Joe Schmo. And, and that's yeah. the thing. I mean, and instead we put it out there. They put it out there in this guy's hands. He goes out and kills four or five animals with it. You're four and says the greatest bow on planet Earth. Well, I, I just don't buy that, and, uh, and I don't care. I mean, I mean, I, it's one thing to say that about like. I wouldn't say that about like Lee Lakoski or Chris B or some of these yeah, other yeah, 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 yeah. Brad Christian, some of these other guys that genuinely know what the hell Shoot they're doing with yeah. those. Right. But the issue when the issue you're talking about is when, you know, at at whoever's Instagram handle has, you know, ten thousand followers or something, he gets a free bow and he's like, Oh shit, I got a free bow. It's the best thing I've ever had. And yeah. he probably never you know, he says that before he even opens the damn box. This thing holds great. 
I have a, uh, a everybody that knows me. And I'm just go ahead and say it because I don't care. Maybe this would be a good poll to take. All right, caught me on a good day. Um, they are begging me because I'll do it in here, face to face with a customer. I'll tell them what's good, bad, and ugly about every manufacturer, mm-hmm. even ones we carry. People want me to do that online. Do a YouTube series. Do a video series. Call out what's good and what sucks. Yeah. You know, we got to be really PC here because we're a dealer and, you know, we can burn bridges. But at the end of the day, part of me wants to do it because you're not making product better without doing that. And, I, and I'm, let's be honest, as an engineer, I can tell you we're arrogant. We don't think we make mistakes. I mean, Bridger knows that he's looking at me right now. <laughs> Nod his fucking head. Um, we really don't. And so when I, even when I talked to a couple of engineers last year and I got to, to break bread with one of them for a, wo- a while, um, man, they're, they're proud. I mean, they're, they, they don't think they make mistakes in design. Um, I've worked with them my whole life. So I know I was one. Um, we spend a lot of time on design and R and D and we, we put our best foot forward and we don't think that what we did was wrong. And when we get some critical, you know, critical, critical, uh, critical information or feedback, you know, we, we get crazy. You know what you're talking about, you know, and, and, and we, we hold our feet to the fire. Well, <clears throat> it's funny you say that. I remember talking to George Riles about almost this exact thing one time. I think it was right after Hoyt brought him on, uh, after he had left Martin and he had some gripe with the bow, you know, in one fashion or the other, I think it might've been about a grip on one of like the ultra elite or pro elite or something. Right. And whoever the engineer was, he was talking to, it's like, well, hell man, I got 40 years of experience in engineering. What makes you think that you know better than I do? And George's <laughs> like, well, I got 30 years of shooting these damn bows. Like, I, exactly. Like you may have like technical experience, but you know, I have the, you know, the actual real world and experience use. of in, in use experience. Exactly. Me. And both of them are equally important. Hundred percent. When it comes to that stuff, yeah. Without it, you don't have innovation. Exactly. But at the end of the day, I don't think, and this is what irritates me about it, because I've actually had meetings with some engineers before, or I've had meetings with uh, Scott can't walk and keep talking about this. Uh, they said they need Bridger's Bridger. needed. They said they need Bridger. Yeah, hold. Pause. So hold no, you don't have to pause. Bridger. We'll just go ahead and move pause forward. Me, pause Bridger. But no, what Bridger's saying is dead on. You know we. We need that to keep innovation going, but the problem is we don't listen to the right people. You know, I've sat in board me- uh, meetings with engineers and owners, told them some things that we exactly need um, to make our service levels better to the customer, mm-hmm. make the product better. And, you know, we're not trying to sit there and say we're the, we're the all-knowing, but I can tell you that a lot of the suggestions, that, and this is not just us, there are a lot of shops that are this way. They see things and they want things and... I don't know. Sometimes it falls on deaf ears because you think they're so so simplistic. I mean, they're easy changes that should be implemented quickly, efficiently. Hell, I've told some engineers, just send me the dang CAD cam drawing. I'll change it in five minutes. I just don't think it's getting brought up to their attention because, and it's not a knock on every influencer, everything out there. Like, like Bridget was saying, there's people out there that know what they're doing, but you know, the guys that have a following that are getting a lot of business going for these companies, Companies don't want to jeopardize all the business that's coming yeah. by making one change that's going to slow production. And I mean, that's my opinion. Who knows? <laughs> but what's weird about it, and I agree with that, but there will come a time, I've seen this in other industries I've worked in, where they'll let you get away with it for a while because you have the trade name, but it'll catch up to you in the end. Yeah. I mean, you keep, And then you're going to get buried. And you're going to get buried. I mean, there comes a point in time where you can only cry wolf mm-hmm. or ride your trade name 
um, so often, but still come off with really, really, really substandard work. It'll catch you. You'll, 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 you'll quickly find yourself at the back end of the line looking yeah. for a way to get out. I mean, I, hey, let's be honest. I'll give you some names right now. Bear Archery, Martin Archery. Mm-hmm. I mean, two of the stalwarts of the industry for decades. You know, look where they're at today. I mean, I, no offense, but it's reality. Yeah. I mean, Martin tried to make a comeback. Yeah. And you know, they've done a pretty decent job. You know, yeah. I think they make a good product. They've, uh, you know, I think they got a little bit of ways to go, but they're coming back for sure. But then you got to sit there and play that, that whole toe, that line of, uh, you know, how long do we hold on to that? You know, I'll give an example. Randy Kitts, good friend. He bought Darton. You know, my advisement to him was change the name. You know, he wanted to keep it and, and uh, I and the brand's going in the right direction. Yeah. So we'll see what happens over the next, you know, <clears throat> couple years with that. He's taking the time to listen. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. He's building around what people are are experiencing and and finding out with the gear out there. So right. Well, I think. Well, and it's just it's, and I always like to use High Country as a great example. I mean, I love those guys. Shot for them for years when I was a kid, and. uh you know, back in the day, High Country was the Matthews of the industry. They were the Ferrari. You, you or anybody, you were shooting a High Country. But, you know, I also had to carry a truck full of parts with me and a bow press. Uh, we could not keep them together. They mm-hmm. were, I mean, because they were so aggressive, so radical. Um, but they did that for year over year over year. We started complaining and saying, hey, look, we need quality guys. We're tired of working on these things. Yeah. Tired of replacing limbs and tired of replacing cams. Hell, we were breaking risers you know back in the old magnesium riser days um and look what happened to them disappeared. they were they rode about 10 year train there and they were the best in the business and they disappeared mm-hmm. because you know it's not a secret they had replaced so much stuff in warranty that you just can't be viable anymore oh you <clears throat> you lose all profits you lose all margin 100 percent honestly they started you losing some of their customer base yeah you know because there comes a point in time that you get tired of working on it you know, but, uh, I don't know. You want to get something to the last. That's a rant and a half, but <laughs> it is, um, it'll, it'll keep derailing. You know, and that's the thing. I don't know how long this is. I don't know if every industry is like this. I mean, Jason, you came out of guns. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, I wasn't in it long enough to see it, but for some <laughs> of the stuff that, that I have seen, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll write out a, a product sites was one thing that I saw and then disappears comes back under another name and then they last for a little bit and then go right back away. Right. So I don't know. It's, it's, I don't see as much. Do you think there's as much social media influence in a gun? So I think there's more. Really? I think there's more, way more just on our pages alone. Like archery is what we do. So that's kind of what we see on our newsfeed and everything. Just kind of like when you talk to your, like say, I want to go to Miami or whatever, it's going to start popping up on my phone. This is kind of the same thing. I think that's a, do they have the gun babes like they have the archery babes? Worse. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. Whereas, okay, so for example, let's let's say archery names, you have Crispy. You know, he, he carries like 80,000 or something like that on, right. on Instagram. Well, on the gun side, you have people like Crispy. He carries 400,000. And that's one. Donut. He carries 3 million on YouTube. Wow. Uh, Demolition Ranch over 10 million on YouTube. Right. So yeah, it's way worse on the gun side, but they also have 
way more product, way more companies, way more everything. Yeah. They can support it a little bit more. That's a huge marketing footprint. For way sure. more money. Yeah. Versus archery being a little bit smaller. Yeah. What is but, there? Maybe what? 50 manufacturers in archery? Maybe. Yeah. I would say archery. Like it's from an industry side of it. Like archery is probably, if I'm like over guesstimating, like less than 25%. Of what the gun industry is, yeah, yeah, and that's that's like, I wouldn't even say firearms exclusively. It's pro- like from the whole standout of all the manufacturers and mm-hmm. uh, people that go to Shot Show, because you got to remember, there's companies that make triggers, stocks, scopes, rings for the scopes, yeah, trigger assemblies, like just the parts for the the parts that go into the trigger, drop in triggers, flash suppressors, I mean, there everything. Is, for every one product we got in archery, there's a hundred of them. What's funny and is we only really have, from an aftermarket standpoint, is we got one guy who does limbs, I think, and that's it. Yeah, Dave. Barnesdale. That's it. That's yeah. really the only aftermarket part. And on top of that, you're, you're, you're talking about, you know, there's the hunters that shoot rifles, and then there's the pistol shooters, there's the three-gun shooters, the shotgun shooters, then there's the military contracts. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. it's it's huge. That's a big animal. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I, I don't think archery will ever be no. half that size. No, it's a pretty niche sport, which, I mean, is part of the allure to me, I guess, because it's, I mean, there's not a lot of people that do it, so it is pretty unique. But, you know, obviously, size of that is obviously going to limit what we're able to do as an industry, but right. that won't keep the Instagram sluts from coming after. So. <laughs> we cussed. Do you have a coin jar? I don't have a coin jar. That's He's, just your wife. Yeah, I don't put do, it in the coin jar. I don't jar. do it in front of customers. <laughs> just in front of the audience. Just, just, just in front of the, however many people are listening. That's okay. Uh, no, that's interesting stuff, though, for sure. So, yeah, we don't know what will happen to ATA, but I'm... We can sit here and I went one time in the last... I've been there once in the last five years, and it was enough for me. Hell, that was probably the last time I... Or I remember... It was. Right, the last we time you and I, I both went. Muddy yeah, you were working muddy. Yeah, and that was the last time I've been. I don't think I'll go back. It's just it's just a pain in the butt. I mean, the expense in traveling there is ridiculous. The you know, the weather's typically horrible, and you know you have everything else you can do now. I mean, that's the other thing too. The internet and computers and everything else is have allowed. Yeah, it brings it to you. Well, and and I mean, from a rep standpoint, other than having the opportunity to write a lot of write a lot of orders and stuff there, which obviously you have, is say there was one year when ATA show was at its peak and you didn't go. And you called, say, Mick from, from Hoyt. Right. Would he still give you ATA show pricing? Oh, 100%. Yeah. So why, why would you spend five grand or us as a dealer spend five to $7,000 to send two or three guys out there yeah. for hotels, food, getting there, all that stuff to get the same price that we can wake up and call them still wearing our underwear? Yeah, exactly. And put that seven grand towards an order. Yeah, exactly. I'm staying home. Yeah, you joke. That's exactly. I mean, it's so. I mean, it's cool to be able to put put hands on product. But again, you know, last year with COVID and everything, and ATA show being being canned, like, I mean, how many? Almost all of our reps brought in all of our stuff, so we got to see it anyways. Right. And And that's luckily you and I know enough about archery. We can look at it. You know, we can look at a picture or see you know a three D scan where it's going on the screen and get a general idea of what it's right. going to look like and feel like in our hands. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the main deal is that we've taught, and I said this before COVID taught an entire generation of people. And I'm going to talk, I'm talking about old people, how to buy online. Mm-hmm. You know, most old people would buy store only face to face, small business. 
with COVID coming back, you got a whole generation of these people between 50 and 870 learn how to buy from Amazon. Mm-hmm. Cause there was no other, there's no other way to get stuff. Mm-hmm. And now I think the same thing's happened with archery where you, we don't need it. We got a rep traveling to you. He'll bring you the stuff. Let you look mm-hmm. at it. You, you buy it, save and, the money. And even, even customers like they'll call and ask, you know, Oh, this X, X product coming out from X company. What do you know about it? And we can say, Oh, well, I just talked to my dealer two days ago. He's going to be here with that and all his other line of products. Right. Like, stop in while he's here in this three-hour time window, and you can put your hands on it before you buy it. Because that's usually the one hang-up with buying stuff online is, you know, you what, can't touch what, it. I can't touch it, can't look at it. I don't know what the quality is going to be. I don't want to spend, you know, if it's a $200 release, I don't want to spend 200 bucks for it to be a piece of junk. Right. You know, so, which is how we end up with 10 pages on the classified ads of archery talk <laughs> with the same product. That's what drives me crazy too. The manufacturers, and I don't care about calling them because I'm in that mood. They make you buy stuff before you even get a chance to look at it and see it. They're mm-hmm. preview packs. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, for real. It's kind of like going to say, I'm going to buy that car and I ain't seen it yet. I, I don't get that. And we continue to let it happen. Hell, there's a very good friend of mine who's a rep. I won't name his name because he'll kill me. But, you know, he's talked about creating a dealer network. So we figured out there's about... An average of 20 to 25 dealers a state on average. 50 states, there's about 1,000 dealers nationwide. If you could go and get the largest dealers in a certain location within that state, let's say the main major cities, mm-hmm. Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, Austin, and you get those big dealers, and you can get them to get into a group like the ATA, and he had a name for it actually, which was awesome, um, <clears throat> and take them, all those dealers nationwide, and create a book of business or a volume of business that you then take on behalf of those dealers to a manufacturer and say, look, you want us to carry your bows? Here's the price. I mean, and I'm going to tell you, I came out of integrated supply world as, you know, working another time in my life where we did just that. Mm-hmm. I'll share with you. It's not a big deal, but like at Universal Studios Florida, I worked for them as an integrator for about four years. They spent like $26 million in product to keep that park running. They had... I think it was like 9,000 vendors, you know, power transmission components alone. There were probably 12 different vendors that were involved in that, that throughput, that spend. I took all that, put it in a big spreadsheet. It was worth of about 12 and a half million. We invited all the vendors in and we said, look, somebody in this room is going to sign a contract for this amount of money or for this amount of savings. Don't know which one of you is going to do it, but somebody's going to do it. <laughs> you talking about getting confrontational quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how we drove the business and that's how we drove the, the volume. And what mm-hmm. we ended up doing, we ended up doing what's called a cost savings guarantee where we guaranteed Universal Studios. If we don't save you this amount of money, we're going to pay for the difference. But if we save you over this amount of money, we're going to gain share. You're going to split that profitability with us. And that's how we made money. Um, and we need to do that, something like that in archery. Because I mean, I hate to say it and I, I don't care. The manufacturers are making all the jack. A hundred percent. Bridger's looking at me like, you are insane. <laughs> no, I, honestly, I'm agreeing with you because they, know they make I've the looked, money. I mean, and we've talked about it on here before. Bows are the least profitable oh, thing my. in our store. Highest, ex- highest expenditure, expensive. highest amount of risk, least amount of profit. Now, in every other business I've ever worked in, if I own it or if I am working for it, you are trying to remove that business. Mm-hmm. Your charter is get rid of it yeah. because now, you can't make money. It is slightly different because, okay, so yeah, a bow does make us the least amount of money, but every time we sell a bow, yeah, we're able to, yeah. you know, 90% of the time we're bolting, you know, however many hundreds of dollars of accessories on there as well. Yeah, exactly. 
but that's a man that's a big chunk of that's a big chunk of change to guarantee sales on other items too yeah exactly so it's i don't think you know there's no way it would ever happen sword. it is and there's too much risk involved i don't think you get enough deal De- the problem with our market is we don't have common ground that dealers like to work off of mm-hmm. because all of them are self-made for the most part they've taken the risk on their own they put their own money into the game so because of that you tend to be very what's the word i'm looking for but Close to the chest. Yeah, close to the chest with that. Exactly. We're lucky that we have a good relationship with a couple of shops. You Correct. know, one shop here in San Antonio and down in uh, Corpus. And, yeah. You know, we're able to work with them a little bit. You know, we have a part they don't or vice versa. We, you know, we'll, we'll trade we'll that business. Trade out. Just, 100%. I mean, A, it's small business trying to help small business. And B, Correct. I mean, a lot of them are friends of ours. So. Yeah. But, and, and I think that's, you have to have that, but I, for the most part, let me ask you a question in Iowa. Did you guys have that kind of relationship with your suppliers around there or your other, your competitors? I mean, I did, but I, that's cause I knew him personally. Yeah. He was you a know, shooter. I knew when I worked at Shields, I knew Mark Wagner at Archery Field and Sports and his, his dad Irv started it like 80 years ago or something. <laughs> Been around right. forever. But, uh, you know, I had known him for years before that, but even there, you know, you still have that weird tension of saying like oh yeah i guess you could go over there but i can do it here for this yeah. you know uh i don't know i guess i i hell i probably told two people today to call scott down at mesquite to, oh yeah to yeah. get something taken exactly. care of that i you know we're not able to handle right so yeah i'd rather we'd rather give the customer the right place to go to get the right business or get their, their stuff taken care of instead of just send them on a wild goose chase right because then your reputation's on the line and everything else but yeah. I don't know. Man, we, we can beat, beat this dead. Yeah, That's we can saying. beat this horse to death over and over. Let's pile talk about some fun stuff. It's a pile of bones by this point. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk about Falk. <laughs> Jesse, talk Jesse Falk. loves talking about building arrows. Well, you know, it's funny. You know what? Let's, let's switch gears because we may lose him pretty soon and let him talk about, you know, he posted this potentially controversial um, posting on Facebook and Instagram two weeks ago. As soon as I read it, I thought, uh, I don't know if he should have done that. Um, but his, his nephew went out and killed a doe, his first deer, with a bow, and it was a 27-pound... Uh, Oit fire shot. Oit fire shot. And as soon as I read the 27 pounds, I thought, oh, God, here they come. You hear it going to come? The critics, the specialists, they're going to be throwing shade at him. You know, he's got to be Dude. dealing with this. And, um, oh, and, Jesse, and Jesse did a lot of homework on this. I'll give him credit. How long did you work on that bow? Two weeks? Three weeks? Three weeks, and then... I shot it into, you know, I killed a pig and I took the whole front quarter off and had Rob shoot through it with all kinds of different Yeah, so why don't you talk through that process and what you did? So I'm a firm believer in, I mean, in South Texas, our deer is the size of a big German Shepherd. They're 130 pounds. That doe he shot was like 115 pounds. So anyway, I told, I told him last year, if you can pull 30 pounds, we'll get you to shoot a deer. You just got to practice, practice, practice. So he'd been practicing all year. So we finally brought him to the lease and then we kind of trying to figure out his arrow setup. We had him shoot at a pig and it was just, a, he was shooting about 140 feet a second. It's just a little too slow to shoot. I think he shot the pig at 17 yards, mm-hmm. ducked it, turned. So then we came back, we did some more research. And I think if you're going to shoot under 45 pounds, I think you have to have a minimum arrow weight of 350 grains. I think that's a good penetrating head, but then you got to look at your broadheads and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So we did a bunch of research and, you know, a little kudu points. Those are, I mean, those are a beautiful head. They do really great. And then steel force. So I had, uh, we actually didn't have any kudus in, 
And oh, we, we probably upped our broadhead inventory by a, like three or 400 because we were ordering all kinds of different heads for you and Rob to try out. <laughs> yeah, no way. And uh, so we, we ended up, we didn't, couldn't get any kudos in on time. So we had some, we had some steel force and big fan of steel force to make a great hit. So I, I get this broadhead in, it's a little fat head, has bleeders on it. So I look at the bleeders and I'm like, well, it's going to impede penetration. He needs all the penetration he can get. So after his overall arrow, I made his arrow as quiet as we could, took the bleeders out, dropped the two blade, super sharp. 366 grains is what it ended up being. I put big, long trad veins on the back just to help it be quiet. Mm-hmm. And just, he doesn't have the most perfect release, so it'll correct it just a little bit faster to get the arrow a little bit straighter. So we, we did a whole bunch of research. Like I said, I killed a pig. I took the front shoulder off. He was shooting through the front shoulder at 10 to 15 yards, still sticking, you know, six inches in the foam. That's not the greatest test or whatever, but it, he's going through an inch of, an inch of meat hide and still mm-hmm. pushing in. If it goes six inches into the foam, it, it's going to go plenty enough into an animal. Right. So we, we went through all that. And so I told him, I said, Rob, we're going to have to shoot 15 yards and less. So we go to South Texas where we're from and the deer... They don't duck like the hill country deer right. up here, so it's a lot. Your your chance to success is go goes way way up. That's where I need to go. I know. <laughs> so we go to my buddy's place, and his the feeder's twenty yards, and I get some corn out, and I just throw it in between eight and fifteen yards. Well, that morning we're sitting there, and the feeder goes off. It goes off real early, six forty. We're in a little pop up blind, and all the deer come out. They're eating, and about seven oh five shooting lights. So. He gets there and finally this doe stands broadside and he's sitting there and he pulls back and he's waiting and he knows, he knows, and anybody that shoots deer knows that if that leg's back, you can't, you don't want to shoot him because that's exactly where the liver and everything starts. So I said, Rob, wait till that leg goes forward. Well, then she quarters away and he lets down. He comes to full draw probably four or five times just waiting. I mean, you're only shooting 27 pounds. I'm telling him he has to be, or that your deer has to be broadside. You're going to aim at the heart in case it ducks. You're going to end up in the lungs. So finally, this deer, like I said, fifth time he comes to full draw. Yeah, I, said, I said, Rob, as soon as that deer moves its leg forward, and as I was saying that, that deer moves that leg forward, and Rob shoots, and, I mean, he just buried his arrow through both sides all the way to the fletching, and he, and he just smoked it. I mean, he took the top of the heart off, went through both lungs. I've seen the picture that interesting. It looked pretty I mean, that thing was smoked. Yeah, you. I mean, it. Everybody always hears story about like somebody shooting a real light arrow in a rage and you hit dead center in a rib and it bouncing off. And what was his speed? He's shooting 140 feet a second. 140 feet a second. That's, that's basically recurve speed. Recurve yeah. speed mm-hmm. with a 350 grain arrow. I mean, yeah, 366 right. or whatever. Right. So he went vertically through the rib, the first rib on his entrance. So, I mean, just hit it. You couldn't hit it more dead center and vertically blew through it, went and hit the other rib, punched through that one and buried it, the fletchings inside the armpit. And that deer made it 80 yards and died. Yeah. And people want to say that's unethical, but the lengths we went through to see what his arrow was going to do. I mean, I put carpet around a pumpkin and then yeah. tied it and he shot through it. I put a pumpkin, a rib cage off of a pig and carpet and punched through it. And he was punching through both sides at 10 yards. Yeah. So I knew he was going to get the penetration he needed. Well, right. You know, I think the big problem is that most people, and we see this all the time with customers coming in, they want to take that same kid in that same format and put him in a five or 600 spine arrow with an 80 grain point head. Oh yeah. And they, then they create in a 200 feet per second scenario with a arrow you could probably catch. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's not. Yeah, gonna, like 300 grain arrow. I mean, it's going to hit a t-shirt 250. Yeah, exactly. And I, that's like, honestly, I, I think us, do we, I don't think we have a kid hunting with anything less than a 400. 
Probably not. No, I mean four hundred minimum. I mean, maybe a yeah. couple. Maybe a couple younger girls or something hunting with a five hundred. But we. I mean, we're still not putting anything less than a hundred green head. On. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's still three hundred and thirty. I think mm-hmm. three fifty is probably going to be about the minimum. I think if there's going to be a minimum arrow weight, I think. There needs to be a minimum arrow weight. Instead of a minimum poundage. poundage. Agreed. A thousand percent. And then that's if you're going to shoot misses. that minimum arrow weight, you have to shoot like a two-blade broadhead. Like yeah. That's why Rob shot a two-blade broadhead. I'm, mm-hmm. You want you can't rob Peter to pay Paul. I mean, you can't have you can't shoot a big three-blade broadhead at 27 pounds. You're, gonna, you're not going to penetrate. I mean, we, we tried it out there. We mm-hmm. tried all kinds of different broadheads. We knew he wasn't going to get a good blood trail, which actually was false because he had one of the best two-blade blood trails I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, it would just spray for 80 yards. At the top of the heart, you're going to blow out all them arteries and stuff, too. Yeah, well, and, you, then, and we talked about this yesterday. I never got a chance to listen to the conversation, but... Oh, and Kyle. With Kyle. Yeah. yeah, so we got a guy, the customer, who's been shooting slick tricks forever, and uh, his arrow weight has been going up and up and up and up over the years because he's an elk hunter now, and uh, he's blowing through some of these whitetail, I think, and, and whatever came about. The, the theory was, I thought, I asked Bridger, because Bridger's killed a shit ton of whitetail up in Iowa. Can you go through an animal so fast? Good job, Paige. <laughs> Sorry, we got. Yeah, we had to do. So we had to do some water because uh, I'm dying over here. No, but the the theory was: is are we going through these white tails so fast? Because I know Jesse got involved in that conversation about what they call it, stropping on leather. Dropping. Mm-hmm. So that's making the broadheads like ultra sharp. Can you go and make that broadhead so damn sharp? That at 18 or 20 yards, you're going through that animal so fast that it's kind of like when you cut yourself with a super sharp knife, you don't even know you're cut until it starts to bleed. And then it doesn't bleed. And then it doesn't bleed because it's so sharp. Mm-hmm. Is that a, I don't know, where'd that conversation go? Is there such a thing as too sharp? It's, never, it's so minute. That on, yeah, honestly, the, the way we finished that conversation was if you're worried about Bob blood trail on the whitetail, just shoot an expandable. We're shooting 100, 180 pound deer in Texas as a giant deer. Right. And that's you're shooting giant, 20, you're shooting that is 20 a giant yards. deer. Any, any modern compound has way more than enough energy at 60 plus pounds to, you know, be able to expand and penetrate into the animal, you know, especially a whitetail down here, right. even like the largest expandable broadhead we got, which is that mega meat, which is a two inch three blade. Right. Which, I mean, it, you can damn near stuff a baseball through the through the wound wound channel of that thing oh, oh you, you know so, i'm not a mechanical guy and i tested that exclusively on pig. i shot 15 pigs with it trying mm-hmm. to prove scott that it was a piece of junk and i love it i'm not, that's dude it's good hell that deer that i that little spike that i killed once we finally got on the blood trail of him it was like you I know, mean, it looked like freddy krueger went after him it's exactly. ridiculous i mean I, the holes i've shot like i said i shot 15 pigs with it and a couple of deer and it is ridiculous. I haven't had anything no. go over fifty yards. Well, and even, Tell you what, and even going to the tripan, the tripan with that with their seen, titanium yeah, ferro blades. One. Yeah, you can't hurt them. Mega meat's gonna be my my go to turkey blade. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. I'm gonna shoot a dull mega meat in the turkey. I'm gonna shoot it out of my stick. <laughs> yeah, Courtney' girlfriend. She killed that that older buck point, on yeah. a friend of ours place. And I mean, you guys didn't you could drive need a truck the, through it. You didn't need the blood trail. No, but, but was it a mega meat? Helen Keller tripan. could tripan. Helen Keller could oh, tripan. trail that. Yeah. I even mean, even a dead meat. I love or, Scott or a raptor trick. So much love the dead meat as I'm much not as a fan I of dead meat. Not at all. I mean, I mean it's a smaller mega meat. Yeah, no, not really. They're different. It's, they're different. Slow. They're so different. They're different enough that I don't like them. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I still, I still I hate me so. Going back to working on getting better blood trails and stuff, I and I voice this to Kyle. I think, you know, if you're sharpening your blades on, you know, a stone or a diamond 
a diamond plate or something like that where you're going to get imperfections in the blade to the point where you're literally tearing flesh as opposed to cutting it cutting it generally you're going to get a better blood trail because it's an uneven uneven cut it's generally going to bleed more but i mean jesse you said that you strop everything you got yeah i have, have the complete opposite zero issue so not so, to bring ranch fairy into this but the one thing oh do bring it the one thing i God. he did that really opened my eyes is he get he gets a broadhead right out of the package and he ran through a thing of bacon and put it under a microscope well that all those rough edges carry the fat so it actually covers the blade a little bit and doesn't cut as much versus if you yeah. strop it and run it through there's not all that fat hanging on that blade so that's why i started stropping stuff and i started seeing an actual like better results like i strop my slick tricks and i mm-hmm. well and i suppose that's different <laughs> I suppose it's different too, depending on what game you're shooting. I'm in oh. Iowa shooting shooting exclusively whitetails. That's 99 percent of my hunting experience. Yep. And well, but, yeah, well, but back up. Those are 250 to 300 pound hammers. I mean, they're big animals. So <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's just more blood to pour out. They of. are huge. <laughs> I don't know. And you know, you're shooting pig. You know, shooting a pig down here. Even their fat, like the uh, stop, stop like blood. the way their fat is in right. their body is different. Right. They have more internal fat more fat just on the outside between the muscle and the hide right. than a whitetail does. And I say that, like, I've killed doe or bucks that have, early in the season, that have two inches of fat all the way around the rib cage. So, I mean, I've killed deer with a lot of fat on them, but right. still one of the best broadheads I've ever used is a B-52 from G5, which is just as simple of a two-blade as you could possibly get. And all I'm doing is taking it on diamond stone and sharpen, and sharpen them up. And I've had some blood trails that you would have swear I shot him with rage. <laughs> well, that's how so, Rob's was the other day. That's mm-hmm. what we're getting to is uh, I stropped that one. And that broadhead, I, after we got it, you could sit there and I could put it back on my arm and I can just run it down my arm and still shave. shave. It went through two bones and I still shave. So it's just a matter of yeah. blade and, material. And I think and, a lot of it is, and I mean, everybody says this about broadheads, but 99% of it is shot placement. Yeah, without a doubt. I don't know. I, I, Call me, call me, uh, what's his name? Pigman or whatever, whatever you want, you know, about aim and center mass. But I will eight days a week take a double long shot over a heart shot because when you put two holes in each lung or put a hole in each lung, it's got five holes that that deer's going to be bleeding out of. You got both your entry and exit if you get a pass through, you know, or at least an exit wound. Yeah. Plus two nostrils and his face yep. and his mouth. Throat. Yeah. So, the second they start letting air out of their lungs, they're already shooting blood out. Right. So, I don't know. I, I think mean, it I, all depends on your animal. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> I'd rather hit a deer in the lungs. I, I agree with you 110% there. But, like, up here in the hill country, I aim at the heart. Down is, like, I aim at the bottom of the heart. Well, yeah, because these deer are moving out of the way. Too. Yeah, we go to South Texas, I aim at the top of the heart. But that's also screwed me hunting elk in Colorado is mm-hmm. I'm so used to aiming at the heart. I get judging yardages, and I pull back, and I'm like, oh, it's 40-yard shot. And put it. 40 yard pin on the elk's heart and I shoot right under it because it's 55 yards and I'm like well yeah that sure. bit me in the ass but that, and, I didn't do that on my mule deer this year though it, I it bit me in the mass ass that the first year I moved here because I 20 years hunting experience of me drawing back and putting <laughs> so all shit all my pins are on them I can't miss and just yeah, let it rip exactly <laughs> nope but yeah I mean obviously shot placement is going to be your biggest factor when it comes to quality blood trail and whether you're going to recover that animal or not but that, this is another I, thing I disagree with is everybody's like, oh, I, I'm lacking on pass-throughs. I've shot a lot of shit, and I've maybe had five pa- shots that I hadn't passed through. I mean, that pig the other day I shot with my mm-hmm. stick, 
I didn't have a pass through because I hit the freaking scap or the yeah you hit the arm plate, plate. <coughs> or hit the, the, the plate shoulder plate no no, no I didn't no, I went through one plate on and I side. hit the knuckle on the other side oh so I went through the entire shoulder blade on one and then buried it into the knuckle I, I never even got my broadhead back left it in them I mean it's yeah, a pile it's, of bones now no I went and looked I couldn't find it I don't know where something ate it <laughs> killed two things no but this you know that's a good point because we we I think that looking at those young kids and the equipment today is, you know, guys are getting in their head that 30 pounds is not enough because they're, they're basing it off of, I mean, I hate to say this, but like an old diamond infinite edge, you know, and even that bow has got some good, good mm -hmm. KE. It, it can carry some energy, but the today's bows are not yesterday's. It's crazy. And the cam systems are even so damn good. Five years, how much more efficient cam systems have got. Exactly. Well, that's what, that was my point of putting 27 pounds because you guys got, you got guys come in here that are like, oh, I want to pull 85 pounds because I'm not getting a pass through. And I'm like, how are you not getting a pass through? Where, where are you shooting this deer? You're shooting it in the ass and trying to come out the throat? Yeah, exactly. Like, how, how do you not I mean, get a pass through? a 385 grain arrow and aiming right at the shoulder. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening right there, what he just said. I'll tell you what Rob's KE is. I mean, because seriously, that's what he's, most of those guys are mm -hmm. looking. I mean, I had a kid come in here the other day. He's got a, you know, shooting a Bowtech and he's shooting a 330 grain arrow because he's bragging over he's shooting 320 something 80 second. And I'm like, dude, that's going to work until it doesn't. Yeah. Well, you know? I've always asked guys, if you want to get like the simplest way to think about it in your head, what hurts more, getting hit with a wiffle ball going 100 miles an hour or a baseball going 50 miles an hour? Dude. I guarantee <laughs> you that baseball's going to hurt a hell of a lot more. Hell and the reason more. being is that thing's carrying more mass. Exactly. Yeah, that's you know, that's get, physics 101. We could get like super into the weeds and talk about the right. how much FOC or well, block plays into it. Oh, please it. do. But <laughs> no, 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 it's not. But let's, let's do go down this rabbit hole real quick. Because, you know, you talked about this guy before. What about doing 35, 40% FOC? You know how heavy my arrow has to be at 29 and a half inch draw? Oh, there's, a guy on the internet that, there's a guy on the internet that believes in it. Well, I think he believes in a heavier. I don't. I, I'm not going to shame anybody. I think he just believes in a nice, solid, heavy arrow. But what I don't like is shooting a two blade and thick brush. Like South, you go to South Texas mm -hmm. and it's thick, and so you shoot a two blade and you have drop of blood here, drop of blood there, and then it runs into a thick brush, and you got five different trails, and you don't know which way it could have went. I'm, there's no way in hell I'm going to shoot a two blade down there yeah. unless I'm lacking in poundage, like Rob was. But Rob was hunting in the it was a little bit more open, so I I knew we'd be fine. But that's when you want a nice blood trail. Like you're just going to lose that animal. You're going to shoot it, right? And you're not, you're not going to find it unless you yeah. just happen to stumble upon it. I don't care if they go 50 yards. There's some places you can't see 50 yards in the brush. But you look at how many companies right now are preaching that 20 to 30 to 40 percent FOC and making millions of dollars off of it. I I would tell you that out of a compound, zero difference. Yeah, agreed. We used to shoot if, 21 if you know seven. Tune, I think if it, you know how to tune an arrow, I think it. Arrow well, and I think it. I think it limits your range. That's that's probably I, the biggest. I think thing. I think it kills your accuracy because you and I both know the amount of tail feathers or tail veins you have to put on that arrow to steer that much mm -hmm. FOC is abysmal. Well, and I mean, I've, I've always come at it, you know, in the way I build arrows and bows, I've always come at it as a target archer because that's ninety percent of the bow shooting that I do. If FOC was as accurate as a lot of these companies are claiming it, preach, to be, brother. You know, and we'll use Valkyrie for instance. Yep. Valkyrie preaches how much more accurate oh their system God. is. <laughs> if if a high FOC arrow was as accurate as it as they claim it to be, you'd be making your money. Yeah, doing that. all of us, all Bro. target guys, especially Feta, which is what most of my background is in, we'd all be shooting you know 150, 180, 200 gram points mm -hmm. when damn near every world record has been shot with an Easton X10, 
XM Pro Tour, which A, if you don't have any components on it, it has negative FOC because right. the back of the arrow is heavier than the front of the arrow. Correct. And, you know, only 120 grains in the front. Yep. And Just we're probably what? Arrow. Seven to 9% FOC, probably. Yeah, give or take. Mm hmm. So the and the only time you see compound shooters shooting a high FOC arrow or what could potentially be considered a higher FOC arrow is indoors at twenty yards, and that's because they're loading up the point <laughs> weight to a break down the spine of a two hundred fifty spine or one fifty triple X gold tip triple <laughs> X one fifty one fifty. You know if you're in the I mean Tim yeah. will blow up if, you, if he thinks that you're breaking <laughs> down or if he thinks I'm putting weight in to break the spine down. But yeah. Mostly you're just adding weight to add weight and slow the arrow down to give it more time to correct in there. If you correct. make a poor shot. Yep. Exactly. So, and you know, we're only shooting 20 yards in that instance. Right. So if, if high FOC was as accurate as everybody says it is, or a lot of these companies claim oh, it to not. be, we've target archers would have taken advantage of that a long time. Ago. Oh yeah. Well, I, I get I get a kick out because I had a, we had we've had numerous customers come in here, but we got into it with one of those manufacturers at one of the tax shows before, and you know, run, literally running three hundred and fifty to four hundred grains up in the front of it with blazer veins on the back of the arrow. I looked at guy and said, "Draw." I, I mean, it doesn't not take a rocket science to figure out that is not steering that arrow. I'm sorry. Well, we took it out. We took it out there too. It's it's the whole theory <laughs> with the baseball and the string. You know, you don't need those veins to steer because. Oh crap! That's that's the theory behind it, and that's well, what yeah, Chad and I, and I took the bow out there and we shot it, and it was a bit. I mean, God, you talking about horrible? Oh my God! You know, and he accused me of making the arrow do that by making a crappy shot, <laughs> and I gave it to one of my buddies and let him do it. And it was just horrible. They just you know twenty yards, and honestly, I think their whole entire and I think they have admitted this later, but. If you do that for, and you know this, you're a recurve guy. If you do that for recurve, for traditional, it definitely makes a difference. Definitely makes but, a difference. Yeah, you know, and I we talk agree. about, I agree, hundred percent with the FOC. You know, a higher, but that's higher FOC I, arrow pulling the arrow straight. And what are we doing? We got two big factors there. We're slower, and we got more feathers. We got more slower, veins. Slower, more vein, and <clears throat> just watch a slow mo video of any arrow coming out of any recurve, and that thing is the paradox. You know, the archer's paradox. It yes. looks like a wet spaghetti noodle flying down. Yep. If yep. you properly tune, and that's an arrow that's properly tuned out of a recurve or longbow or any finger shooter. Correct. Out of a compound with a mechanical release, if that arrow is properly tuned, there's going to be very little oscillation. Very, exactly. So you're not, you don't need that. Even right. if it's not properly tuned, it still it still corrects in 10 or 15 yards, whatever your vein's going to correct. Right. Yeah, exactly. But well, you start, the only reason I put so much, I don't even know what my fuck is on it. Any of my, I have no... No idea. I know I got like 150 to 200 grains up front. Mm -hmm. You probably, on your recurve, you probably were running somewhere around 20, 22. I don't know. I got Roughly. that. Well, I got I Frankenstein arrows. I got the carbon injection with a focus system, but. But that's a heavy, that's, that's a, a heavy, heavy inch arrow. Yeah. Too. yeah so that's what I'm saying. I don't. I think I'm, most, most recurve guys, once they've found an optimal arrow that they hit the weight that they want, the speed they want and all this stuff. Most guys are probably between 20 and 25%. Yeah. I agree. Which I guess you could say is extreme FOC. I, I, but, bet I bet it's 18 because I, I think yeah, people think they're Fox a lot. I think they think they're Fox a lot more than what it is because they're like, oh, they want it to be more or whatever. I'm like, yeah. I, I, I used to shoot, you know, when, when I lived in Colorado, I shot 2117 with 125 grain Thunderhead. And that's what my dad shot forever. And I don't shoot. know how many elk and bet, mule deer and everybody. I bet that arrow. That, 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 was, that, was, probably, that was probably the number one selling arrow combo in the history of archery. Oh, I agree. Game getter, 2117s with 125 with grain thunderheads. Four inch veins. Four, four inch veins. There's still like four or five dozen of those from my dad when he <laughs> was bow hunting in the late 90s. Yeah, boy. Yeah, XX78, yeah. 2117. Heck yeah, man. That's hilarious. But again, you're looking at 
you know, and guys never, nobody was ever complaining about pass throughs and stuff back then, but that arrow just by itself weighs 400 grains. Yeah, oh, I yeah. agree. Yeah, that's, that's the whole thing is I don't understand how people, back to this, don't get pass throughs. I've purposely shot deer through both shoulders and blown through both of them. Granted, I didn't, I can hit, tell you. I didn't hit the knuckle or the. Because they're buying Bass Pro Shop, Walmart. Cheapo arrows, then they weigh 320, 330 grains. Yeah, but then they go from one end of the spectrum to the other. They go from, mm-hmm. oh, this mechanical is trash, this mechanical light arrow. I'm going to yeah. shoot a 600-grain arrow with a <clears throat> little bitty one-inch broadhead. And and then they complain about not getting any blood trail. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that the damn I'm truth. Like, why can't you just shoot a 450-grain arrow? It's like pick your poison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seriously. Yeah. yeah, I got really lucky with that one time when I went down to Mexico and they made me switch my broadheads at the last minute. The, oh, the manager yeah. was like, yeah, well, I don't like mechanicals. What else do you have? And I was like, crap, all I got is these Amazon broadheads I was going <laughs> to shoot pigs with. Luckily, I shot that deer and it jumped on its back and died right there. Didn't have to chase it or anything. Just That was that hammer eight point, wasn't it? Yeah. You suck. That was, God, I mean, that's, and, and that's my, a deer of a lifetime. My yeah. arrow was 650 something grains. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure it's was that. a 148 inch eight point. Yeah, that's it right there. Weighed 250 pounds. I don't like it. And you. just fell on. Let's go. I want a big eight pointer like that. Bro, really let's bad. go. God, that was, let's just go. I just remember the video. That was one of the coolest shots. Yeah. And that deer mule kicked and wow. It's yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's on the interwebs. Yeah. As far as getting, you know, into the technical <clears throat> weed side of it, like it, just keep it simple, stupid. God, yeah. Because if you, if you build an arrow, that's, if you're shooting 280 feet per second with a 400, uh, 450 grain arrow. Yep. And you put a sharp broadhead on the end of it. I don't care what broadhead it is, whether it's a Rage Extreme cutting a two and a half inch hole or a Kudu two blade. If cutting you, an inch hole. Yeah. Cutting a one inch hole without any bleeders. If you put the arrow in the right spot and that arrow weighs enough to be able to push through the mass of that animal into the bo- or, you know through the body cavity, that animal is going to die. Now, yeah. you know, there's a million and one different factors that come into it when it comes to how well your blood trail is. You know, if you happen to catch a rib, if for God knows why that deer has something else in his, you know, near his internal organs or, you know, if their organs are in one spot or another, depending on the, you know, the, uh, I've got my brain's not species. right. Well, the speed, yeah, yeah. Oh, like yeah, the location, the location. Like a nail guy. Or, yeah. Yeah, nail guy. <laughs> you shoot you know, a nail guy center mass, you're going to spine it. it. Right. It's crazy. So, Most I mean, that's where hunter education comes into yeah. it as well. Yeah. But, I mean, man, if you, if you put a properly weighted arrow with a sharp broadhead on the end of it that is tuned correctly through the, you know, through the center cavity of an animal, it's, it's going to die. Yeah. Agreed. So let's talk about this. Where, if something goes wrong, where does most people, the arrow end up? What do you mean? Like, say your shot goes wrong, are they going to hit shoulder or are they going to hit guts? Where, guts. where, what's yeah. the bigger portion of the body? Well, guts. Yeah. So, if I, I understand building the arrow for, you know, going through both shoulders, like if you're going to shoot a cape buffalo, oh, hell yeah, shoot 700 grain arrow by all means, like that's a big animal. <clears throat> but for Texas and whitetail, even mule deer, I mean, we're going on that mule deer, huh? What's the broad, what broadhead are you going to shoot? I'm probably shooting a mega meat or the tripan, one of the two. I'm going to shoot a dead meat and a slick trick. Yeah. It's going to be, that's the combo that's worked for me. But when stuff goes wrong, it tends to go wrong into the guts. Yeah. And if I'm going to end up hitting the guts, I want the biggest, baddest hole that I can put in there. So that's going to be an expandable. And say you, I accidentally hit the knuckle. Well, 
I don't give a shit if I'm shooting a two blade. Yeah, I shoot a five hundred. I shoot a five hundred grain arrow. Yeah, probably ain't going through it unless you're shooting two hundred pounds. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's some of them. You have a chance. You have a chance, maybe, but you also have a chance of missing it with a freaking mechanical. If you if you can't shoot a mechanical through the shoulder blade of a hundred and thirty pound white tailed deer, you should yeah. some messed up. Yeah, and yeah. even to that point, I would say that most most modern mechanicals and where a lot of these older guys have had, you know, their hang ups on mechanicals was they, they tried using them they tried using them fifteen years ago when yeah. they started coming out and getting popular. What right. Shooting yeah, 180 feet a second. Shooting 100, or, you know, shooting 240 feet a second. Oh. <laughs> with, and that broadhead, if you look at a mechanical from 15 years ago versus the one now, I mean, it, it's a, they're pieces of shit, man. Oh, it's a it's hollow China. piece of aluminum. Oh, yeah, hollow feral. aluminum ferrule, ferrule, which is crazy weak. <clears throat> steel right. on the blades. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of leaps and bounds that a lot of these companies have made oh, in yeah. quality product since then, because A... Because a lot of these guys have an experience, you know, poor experiences and figuring out, well, if we change this, that, and the other thing, it's going to be that much better. Dude, mechanic, I mean, and I would say this about 90% of the stuff in archery, the shit we got now is better, as good as it's ever been. Oh, yeah. That is so, out. I mean, hell, I killed, when Rage first came out with that tripan, I killed like 12 or 15 deer with the same head without One changing head. the blades. Yeah. Raul was talking about that. I think he killed like seven or eight big white tails with his, and he just, you know, slops them or whatever you guys call it, one piece of leather and sharpens them up a little slops. bit and whatever Strops, you guys call it, strops. And, uh, and goes and kills with it. And, he, and I know Courtney, the one she killed, she put that broadhead right back on and she will kill another animal with it tomorrow. I rinsed it out when you guys got back. Yeah. <laughs> when you guys got back. So yeah. Let's talk about broadhead configurations and what works and what doesn't work. So I don't like front deploying broadheads at all. I don't like using all that energy. No. I'd much rather I use a rear deploy. I despise them. Same way. You're at least going to get one. I mean, you're just soaking up so much energy mm -hmm. pulling those blades back. Here's my problem with them. I think you enter the cavity the size of your arrow shaft, and I don't think they open until they get in the middle. I don't, well, think that, like I, don't, I don't think that can physically happen on the outside of the cavity based off the speed of the arrow. I well, don't it's think it's possible. It, it's not doing it outside the cavity. <clears throat> Most of them, so for reference in like a schwacker or... What's the, trick, the raptor, the trick, raptor trick, tricks? Trick. Yeah, those ones are hanging up, and I um, actually I've killed deer. Grim Reapers. Grim Reapers are similar. Um, I've killed deer with Grim Reapers. I guess not a schwacker, but I like the uh, Raptor trick. The Raptor trick is okay, but I the one that I killed with was a dead or a yeah dead ringer, dead ringer, oh, yeah, three yeah. blade one, and yeah. they had literally they call them meat hooks. Yeah, and the way them work, and I literally shave the hair off of where the entrance was so I could see if it did it. And those guys, they will hit the hide, grab onto the hide, and it will it will tear the hide a little bit so you do get a little bit bigger entry entry wound than than you would, uh, you know, with like a schwacker, well, schwacker like that, or right. than what just the arrow hole is. Right. But, you know, simply put, unless you have an exit wound, you're blood trailing off of a hole that's, you know, 50% larger than what you're... Arrow. Or, or what your arrow size is. Yeah, yeah. like that raptor trick only puts like a yeah, you're not even a half inch half hole. Inch hole. Yeah. yeah, and then if you don't have a which is cool for if you're not not I'm gonna condone dropping long shots or nothing, but if you shoot a shoulder blade at 80 yards, it's gonna go through the shoulder blade and then open up on the back side. Mm -hmm. But you don't have a blood trail, so you better hope like if it's a mule deer, don't run to the buck brush or whatever, because you ain't never finding that deer. Right. Yeah, that's why I'm not a fan. I think that the slip cams they open on the outside, and we've proven that. The entrance holes on a mega mead, a dead mead, a, a especially a rage, 
They are massive. When you get the free floating blades like the Rages, you'll get that slap. <clears throat> yes. Mean, my, I, and when they move, they're tearing more. And I mean, I there's some tripan video pictures. I'm telling you, I could put my fist in I, the hole. I wish I'd taken a picture of it. Rage had that uh, that turkey head, that turkey extreme. I have where it's a, Yeah, it's a their extreme style head with the leading edge on it. And I filmed Marcus Branstad, our Iowa's old governor's son, shoot a turkey at 44 yards. And when he picked that turkey up from the feet, you literally, like, I could open, you could open up the body cavity and, like, put it around your head like a necklace. <laughs> That's how that bag of me was with Jason's turkey. A, I, it was almost, like, repulsive how, yeah. how much devastation that thing did. Yeah. But you get that slap cut, and even their two-inch head, like a tripan, is getting damn near a three-inch hole. Yes, every time. Yeah, I mean, not to make it this into, like, a... A rage well, no, hey, commercial. But if it works, it works. I've Dude, had nothing but I don't even like rage that much. But two and, we're with their two blade broadheads. Now that, I have lost probably seven deer when they have their when they had their three blades. And notice how they don't sell three blades anymore. Correct. Yeah. So I think there's obviously some give and take with it. But yeah. no, I agree with you a thousand percent. I think that everything we're talking about is dead on. But I just the, for the listeners. For the older guys, you know, this is not your your old school mechanical. These things are so solid now. And hey, Tay, I was one of those guys. I said I'd never, ever, ever shoot a mechanical. I lost the largest deer I hunted for four years. And it was a double drop, 180, 190. My son seen him and actually had a shot at him and uh, hit him square in the shoulder. And when I hit him, the arrow was sticking out of him, full, the full arrow. Mm-hmm. And when I got it back, the ferrule on the rage was broke off halfway. It was the first year rage came out. It was an orange one. Never forget mm-hmm. it. Broke that ferrule straight in half. It was stuck in his shoulder blade. And I said, I'd never shoot another one yeah. again as long as I live. And I literally did not shoot another one until probably, what, two years ago when the tripan came out. I said, okay, let's give him a shot. The tripan's dirty. That's I don't dirty. like Rage, but if I, if I was shooting Rage, it'd 100% be the that, tripan. That one is my favorite uh, favorite expandable. Well, here's, here's a, so the, dead, the Mega Meat, which I love now, is a one-and-done broadhead. The blades are too thin. You destroy them. That tripan with twenty nine thousand blades, you can reuse it and Take reuse blades, it and reuse it and reuse titanium. it. All titanium ferrule, it is bulletproof. I mean, it's from that standpoint. And now they make that in a no collar. It's a no collar, yeah. That's the one yeah. you're shot with. Yeah. Yeah. It all depends on where you hit him. I got the one I shot at the axis. I got that back and it's reusable. Yeah, I yeah. shot the mega meat. Yeah, yeah, I shot two. Really, three. I shot a mega meat through the pig shield and it went through into into pieces into a two inch cedar branch through the cedar branch and it's. I had two bent blades. But other than that, I mean, I'd still shoot into a turkey, 100%. Yeah. Not that right. I have one that I shot into a feeder leg, and all I got to do is just kind of sand down where it bent a little bit, and it'll be good to go. Oh, where the tip curled? Yeah. Yeah. That'll be fine. But when you were talking about broadhead setups, let's let's dig into that a little bit. You said you're taking a slick trick and a mega meat to Arizona? Yes. I always have a fixed answer. So you're going to... He's nuts. So you're going to tune your your bow and your arrows to that slick trick. So that way, when you strap on your, your mega meat, it's hitting right behind the pin. Uh, yeah, dead meat, 100%. I mean, that's what I like to do. I always like to have a fix just in case. I mean, there's some thick brush I got to go through. I like to be able to push through it and not have a blade open and deflect. Yeah. Well, hell, the last, you talk about having two different heads. The last broadhead, or the last deer I killed in Iowa, I shot with a, actually shot with an iron wheel. Yeah. I swiped an iron wheel from me because I wanted to see what <laughs> do. But I had, I had two iron wheels and two rages in my quiver. Mm-hmm. I always so, have two different. Shoot, I might have three or four different heads in my quiver. I'd just like to test So, you know, for the, li- for the listener understanding, the reason we can get away with that is your, the bows are tuned perfect. Yeah, yeah you're tuning your bow to your fixed 
and then putting on your mechanical yeah. so that it hits behind the pin. You can't do that without a bow that's not tuned right. That's why I always get a kick out of these guys that come in. I mean, they're, you know, I say this, but because I have found some broadhead combinations don't like certain bows, yeah. certain I, setups. Yeah, I agree. I think and you got to go through a, a, a... Well, I've had customers in here before where they're saying I'm having trouble shooting this broadhead or that broadhead. Yeah. It may hit perfect with their, you know, with their field points with one broadhead and not with the others. And I mean, there's 10 million different variables that could be the root exactly cause exactly i would say usually vein configuration vein configuration and exactly. quality of tune of the bow yeah and a lot of times whether or not that broadhead that you got that bow tuned to is straight because i've even had pulled different same model of broadhead two different ones out of the package and one hits good and one of them's six inches off and then, and then you spin it and then one of them yeah and bent. that's why i mean i will say you know, using the arrow spinner, checking your broadheads, bending them straight, making sure that stuff is correct is super important, especially yeah. with a fixed head. Well, that's the cool thing about like the focus system on the yeah, black. You, guys can you can sit there, spin, spin it, and get everything right. spin super Until true. It's straight. <coughs> right. That is no. That's for dang sure. Because I, like I said, I worked with a kid the last weeks so had a similar issue. He just, and I think it was exactly what you were talking about. I think it was a vein configuration issue. Mm. I shoot you a three know. inch vein. Yeah, I think well, three. That's that's exactly why we our standard vein when it comes three. to custom fletch arrows is those three inch X veins because yeah. that'll steer ninety nine ninety nine percent of every broadhead out there. And you've been you've done some serious testing on your veins over the last couple of weeks. This guy, jeez. I mean, I saw him, I saw him throw his phone I thought down. I the was range. an arrow geek. This guy's the arrow yeah. geek extraordinaire. Hell, he I go to phone. him now. Yeah, I'm he threw his sure. phone down the range. <laughs> And then was shooting over the phone just to listen to the... Yeah, he's like... I'm pretty sure Jesse has built more arrows for himself to test out than his wife has for customers. Uh-huh. Yep. He's right. I, I like mean, quiet. I, I literally go to him for a lot of arrow stuff. Not Jesse the he's, arrow He's guy. tried it. Yeah. I put more faith in that than I would in you know, the other guys online right now. Well, I, it's fun to test stuff. I mean, going back, drag. All right. So I like, I like the heat vein. Super quiet. The tack vein. Super quiet. I can't ever get my tack veins to stick. That's I got you. That's a discussion. <laughs> Even with the freaking Just PVC fact. primer. I got you. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so I went back because I had my option before my Mueller hat. We didn't have any eights in, and I'd sold my eight to somebody else, so I had an option four. I could get to 83 yards, and it pissed me off. I didn't want to lighten my arrow up, which if I can't get within 80, I probably don't need to be hunting anyway. But I, for my secondary shot, I wanted to have a 90-yard pin so I could be able to shoot 100 if I needed to. Right. <laughs> so I put... Five different vein configurations on the heat vein and the tack vein, both produce, and then the AAE, uh, what's that tall vein? The Pro Max. Oh, the, the Pro Hunter Max. Max. The Max Hunter. Max Hunter, yeah. So those three all produce the least amount of drag, but would still steer my slick trick at 85 yards. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I always obviously have to compensate for drag. If I'm shooting a fixed blade at 83, I actually have to dial the 85. Different story. But anyway, those three had the least amount of drag, and the other ones would cut it like a. The X vein, badass little vein, but it would drop me three or four yards. Like yeah, I, it'd be are, eighty yeah. yards steering. Yeah, <clears throat> but I ended up going with that uh, Max Hunter. But then that, that thing is so loud. Sounds like a yeah, helicopter their, flying in. Their fins, their fin profiles in those veins grab air and they make well, them loud. Because yeah. they're so they're so high profile, which is yeah. why they steer broadheads really good. Exactly. You know, and was why you know the blazers became so popular as quick as they did. They were tall, but. You heard you a four-fletch blazer? Oh, dude, oh yeah. I God, there's some people, yeah, there's some people online that hunt with a four-fletch blazer, and I'm like, how? It sounds like you've got a flame and arrow. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But I ended up settling on the, 
I shot, I had Paige and Betty stand down range on a New Year's Eve. And I came back to 40 and I had the X-Vane, the Silent Knight in that Q2i three inch. And they couldn't tell a difference between either any of them. Mm. So I just went with the Q2i because right. it's good vein. I like to be different. Well, no, we're getting and you're setting up and getting ready because Jesse and I are going on a mule deer hunt in about what, two weeks, three weeks now? Yeah, I hadn't hit the gym since like September. Yeah, I think I built a bow. I haven't even built a damn bow yet. What bow are you shooting? Probably Elite Envision. I mean, it's it's one of my favorites for the year for sure. It'll be between it and the Dart and Spectra. Yeah. Um, Spectra's a little heavy for what we're going to be doing because we're going to be covering some serious miles. Um, and I just love the Elite. I, I don't care what anyone says, and maybe we can segue into another thing right now. <sighs> What makes it so special? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, for me, the Elite, it built the bow of the year. I, I, I don't give a shit what Field and Stream says, what Outdoor Life says, what anybody on idiot on the internet says. You look at the brass tacks of building a bow from soup to nuts. Now, I will predicate that I'm probably biased in a sense, and I'm measuring Western mountain elk hunting, uh, hunting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's bow of the year. I don't care. I mean, you... I will argue with anybody and any platform that wants to talk about Matthews, Hoyt, PSC. I don't care who they are. No, they're not even going to get close. I'll win that argument 99.9% of the time because, A, well, inch I'm going to be an arrogant asshole, but I know what I'm talking about. Killed, hunted enough elk that I know, know, know enough to be dangerous. And, yeah, I, at the end of the day, they put a lot of riser in the bow. It shoots like last year's Encore. Mm-hmm. The Encore is 33. This bow is 31. Hell, I'd argue it probably is better. <clears throat> I think it does. I, I, it takes a lot for me to say that, but yeah, it does. I think it shoots better. Mm-hmm. And to carry the speeds that it's carrying with a 7-inch brace height, I mean, I'm, I'm going to eat your lunch every day and twice on Sunday on that. And I mean, it's almost 7 inches. It's 6 and 3 six quarters, and quarter or something. pretty much. Um, it's good for a longer, a longer draw length. Oh, dude. Well. Yeah. Well, and I would assume that there's so much why, riser. I would assume that's probably why they Wide went to that longer, longer brace height so they could still get out to 30 to 30 and a half inches. Exactly. And a half. Yeah, exactly. And quite frankly, you have it at 90, you can get to 31. Yeah. At 90% let off, you can get to 31. Yeah, pretty well, they measure everything at 80% let off. 80% that's kind of yeah. industry. <clears throat> right. Especially because a lot of Western states have that stipulation. Correct. But you ramp that sucker up to, to 85, 90%, and you put five twists in the cables, you're at 31 inches. Like that really yeah and it's just it's a hammer i mean they went to a uh what they added a quarter inch to the limb width which is half inch overall on the platform they, well, they, went, a, they uh, went to a half inch wider limb pocket mm-hmm. um and then went to that long riser with short limbs and i'm gonna tell you right now that flatter limb profile flatter limb well, profile <clears throat> and i think the bit a big difference that or something that makes a bigger difference as far as holding yeah that limb or the rises a little longer but they move that grip forward a little bit correct to get correct so it's not it's not a true it's not reflex that it's bad. not a reflex or it's actually a straight riser 100 i need to like actually take one and put it <clears> i think if you measure. measured it on tape i think you might be like three quarters of an inch yeah it's probably Set like some, right around a half inch reflex yeah. which is i mean for all oh, intents yeah, right and purposes there. that's that's a straight <laughs> yeah, riser. Yeah, it is right there. Grab that thing. Let's look at the it's thing. It's a straight quick. riser. And today Jesse's, is, Jesse's today. sitting there. We got the video on, so what the hell? So This is the boat Jesse's taking. Careful with Jesse's purse. <laughs> I'll debate it. I got to shoot that so, and the Prime at 80 and see which one shoots better. So what I'm talking about as far as, like, moving the grip forward and your reflex deflex, what kind of... Just take an arrow out of there. And the way they measure that is... So a reflex bow is going to be that the entire grip is behind the flex point in the limb, which is, starts at the back of the limb pocket. Yep, and that's the limb rocker. Mm-hmm. 
So this one, I guess it is more almost re, or still pretty. It's pretty, pretty dang. Reflex. It's actually no, not much. <laughs> still pretty reflex, but you got to think the encore. You know, this one sits you know half inch reflex. The encore was damn near an oh, inch and a half at least. Yeah. So you get that straighter riser, which is why a lot of guys say that the like the TRX bows from Matthews were some of the best aiming bows that they ever shot. And that's because that riser is dead ass straight. straight. Yep. Yeah. So, and then you get into the deflex riser, which is why a lot of people like the PSE. Theirs sits in front. Theirs, it's actually an eighth inch deflex. Correct. Or at least I know the the original super was. The super was for sure. It was machined. It was machined well, at zero deflex. And then when they put the limb pockets on it, that that riser would flex. And, 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 and you and I have talked about this. What well, was probably one of the best target bows ever built when the money was aligned into All the old money maker. Old PSC money well, maker. And that's, <laughs> honestly, the super, the, the super XL or super RTX yeah. 40 or whatever the, yeah. the new one's called. Yeah. It's damn near an old money maker riser 100%, with the evolved 100%. Yeah. Money was aligned. That's what we shot back in the day for sure. But that bow no, shoots. But that, I mean, it's 70 yards. I'm in, I'm in a Copenhagen, Copenhagen yeah. lit all, all right. day. But I can't imagine what if they make a two inch, like a thirty three. Oh, we begged for that. Um, I got a chance to be with these guys during the elk season. We guided the uh, top brass of elite. So I'm and I don't, and I'm not saying this. I'm not doing. I'm not even being biased of this because I got a chance to shoot the bow early. It's just from a from what I was looking for in a bow. They hit a home run. You know, all, on all, you know, on all factors, they hit a home run. You know, even the set system, which, you know, I think we did a video about that a couple of years ago. We're going to do another video mm-hmm. on this bow when it comes out. But the set it system added. makes it so easy to tune. So, well, and this <clears> one <throat> over the cure and the encore and remedy and stuff, they added an extra degree in each direction, I believe. Correct. Which, I mean, doesn't sound like a lot, but that one degree on this is probably equal to like five twists on a yoke mm-hmm. on a split yoke system. So, yeah. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. And it's makes it so easy to tune super easy to tune yeah if you can't tune that you need to find another job mm-hmm. i mean get it get out of bow tuning because it's simple but yeah it's and what we like about it you know a lot of people always say well, wait a minute you know pse had the the same system but their problem was they put it on the on the front of the pocket there was on the front where so it was the highest stress point for the limb yeah so it was well, pulling it up and out so the, <laughs> if my if my hands arise the way the pse's worked is it would literally pivot the limb Correct. back and forth Whereas this one's doing this, it literally does the exact same thing on the horizontal plane as using a split yoke system. Correct on you know Hoyt bows from the last twenty years or literally any bow, bow that has a split yoke. Yeah, split yoke system. That set system does the exact same thing by pitching that pocket, pitching the limbs. Right, exactly. So that's where it's different <clears throat> from the PSE LAS system. Right, but I just for me, it's just I, I mean. It shoots like a long 33 to 34 inch bow. That's what it feels like. It feels like an ultra. It feels like an ultra. It's shorter though, which makes it more agile in the mountains, um, even in the blind. It's got the brace height with the speed ratio, I think is superior to every other bow out there today. You know, a lot of guys that shoot it for the first time, hell, this guy, he's a speed guy. He ain't gonna lie. And when he shoots it, he gets sometimes frustrated because he's not getting that speed. But I'm like, wait a minute, time out. Dude, you're getting three quarters of an inch more brace height, which Bridger and I will tell you is Nirvana. Yeah, I, mean, I don't. Dude. I don't. I mean, I'm. I'll be on the other side of that a little bit. I don't think brace height matters near as much as it oh, used I do. to matter. Uh, not as much as you. I don't to. think it matters as much. You as think? It used to. I mean, it, going from a it, deflex system to a reflex, that's where I'll disagree. Yes, it does. It, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Also, just riser construction in general. Mm-hmm. If you took a 
like a Matthews Adrenaline where you could put, put that riser over your knee and fold it in half. Right. This, you know, modern day risers are stiff as hell. Gotcha. So your riser's not getting as much flex either, which is why I say it doesn't matter as much. Now, as an, you know, somebody that's not as experienced of a shooter or isn't the quality shooter as some other guys, yes, brace height's going to make a big difference because that arrow is getting out of the bow quick. So much faster. It's not on the string as long, so you're not, you're impacting not able to the impact flight. the arrow flight quite right. as much. Agreed. Well, I, so, like a, I like a longer brace height for clothing when it's cold. Yeah. You start getting real short brace heights and start smacking your clothes and you get mm-hmm. some weird left to rights. But as, as a hunter, I like a longer brace height. Number one, like you said, more forgiving, but then you're not slapping your clothes and right. wounding stuff. I mean, I'm, I might be biased because I lo- my favorite hunting bow that I had for a long time was the Halon 5. I hunted, <laughs> when I shot for Matthews, I shot the five inch brace bows almost exclusively for hunting. Yeah. But, but you're not you're not a normal guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean I was, I mean I also know how to shoot a bow. Exactly. I well, I had a lot of customers shoot that five and they didn't like it. I mean, it's because it's hard. I mean, for the it common guy, it's hard, hard to shoot. shoot. It's hard to definitely shoot. definitely hard. Your form's perfect, impeccable. You're not going to have an issue with it. But for the common guy. But anyways, the lead is my choice this year. You know, right behind it, and I'm <clears throat> I guess because I come out of from an engineering background, I gave a lead a lot of credit because they did a lot of engineering in today's bow. I mean, there's a lot of changes made to that bow over last year's Encore. And then, of course, Prime, I think, probably took the biggest risk in the industry going from a two-cam yeah. system to a single. Oh, I'm kind of glad they got away from 75 strings. So. Yeah, I bet you are. I think strings. you're happy about it. Damn. <laughs> Dude, it would take me three hours to build a freaking string for one of those damn bows. The black, I thought it was horrible with the CT series stuff when it was a yeah. five-piece set. Now They went to seven. The, yeah, they went to the black and the Nexus, and it was it's seven strings. Yeah. Hell, that guy that was in here earlier today, I so many damn strings, I forgot to build him a bottom yoke. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> like That's I, funny. No. So, Dude, it is crazy how many strings are on there. So them going to a three three piece system is that's Nirvana for me. Yeah, and well, that bow and might be the most dead in the hand bow I've ever shot. Yeah, it's uh, they did a hell of a job. Like I said, for them, and we did this. We put it in the uh, in the drawboard. They actually did find a way, and they patented it to get the with the way their their cable tracks. You can't put lean in the bow. When we tried it; it's impossible, and it has zero cam lean. Um, you can't, you could do that on every other bow out there. Uh, and that's, so that's a big deal. They, they duplicated their two track system on a single by running the cable basically from the outside in yeah. on the track. Well, I mean, in layman's terms, the, the whole way that double cam system worked is because it put the cable cable track, which carries 99% of your, ca- uh, your string load, yep. especially at full draw to put that right in the dead center of the axle. Correct. And the way they did it basically just ran the track. So as you draw back. That that cable moves into the center of the axle. Right. Draw. Exactly. I mean, and it seems like it was, they were able to do it with one string. Exactly, or and that's one, a big one deal. One cable or one, yeah. you know, one main string, as opposed to having to split it apart to be able to put the cable in the middle. Correct. And yeah, it's it's awesome what they did with that bow. The, you know, from the the cam, I want to say, you know, probably the only miss I know for me. You know, I'm I have no problem saying this because I've, I mean, I, I be careful. Whatever. Well, single draw stop. And single draw stop. It drives me crazy. Single draw stop, not being able to adjust their let off is, yeah, is I think where they probably missed the boat. And I hope they fix that next year. Um, I know when Bridger pulled it back and shot it, and I didn't say a word to him, he just shot it through his normal process. He, you move that cam a good quarter inch. Yeah, I did the same thing. Um, I did the same thing because I pull hard. Also, I don't shoot a hinge. I'm a command shooter. Yeah, but you still yeah. pull hard. Oh, no, I rip through shit. Like, yeah. it. So that's the thing, like, even on my Elite, I have flim stops because I will pull through the cable so hard. So, like, sitting there at 80, 
if I yank too hard, I'll hit way high. Way high. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's why those limb stops are on there, so I don't yank through. So if I do yank right. through, it's... It stops you. Yep. Yeah, so that was probably the only thing that I was not happy with, is that, you know, missing the boat on having dual stops, because it's hard, it's hard to time that cam. You and I can do it off feel. I can feel when it's out of time. Mm-hmm. Most guys can't. Um, so without that, those markings to actually time it, it's difficult. And then, of course, not being able to adjust it like we have for the last seven years, be able to move that from 60 to 85, 90% if we want, I think is also, I wasn't real, wasn't too keen on that. Other than that, the bow, it feels amazing. Yeah. 90% of all archers and hunters will not care. They won't have a problem because it's dead in the hand. It's got an incredible back wall. Pretty quick, too. And it's pretty damn fast. <clears throat> 80 pounds? The thing drawn out at 80 pounds, it feels like 75. I mean, I know, what's that? Dude that makes all the memes on Doug. Yeah, he, he made fun of somebody being like, "Oh, the influencers being like it's so smooth," but that boat legitimately is, is smooth. But it's, it's so dead in the hand. I mean, there's no vibration. Yeah, and, and then you got um, yeah, it stabs and everything. And, yeah, Hoyt. We have you know the Hoyt bows. I don't know. They made the one. Yet? They made it lighter. The RX seven ish. <clears throat> well, no, they actually did. But I guess the it frustrating did. thing there is they shouldn't. They should have did it across all lines. You know, their Ultra, which I, hell, the rep would tell you. That's the number one selling. It's four to one. Yeah. And they didn't touch it. I, I, mm-hmm. I was a little frustrated with that. I wish they would have made that Ultra lighter. I, I will say the Hoyts look a lot better than <coughs> oh, their carbon. Aesthetically, because they, they, they actually extended Badass. that carbon all the way to the, all the way to the pocket. Yeah. I would assume, I mean, I would assume there has to be some, you know, some aluminum insert inside the riser as opposed right. to like before their standard or their Alpha series. Uh, and their Ultra Series, were the, they were the exact same riser. They just added an inch to the the aluminum outsert that they glued onto the right. carbon. Right. So now the actual riser itself is different. Yeah, exactly. Well, so they looks a hell of a lot. The stabilizer bar go all the way to the pocket. It's a big deal. I mean, all the way mm-hmm. to that rocker center. I, I've always said they should do that because it's going to add more stability and rigidity to the bow. Mm-hmm. It's going to make it, you're going to feel everything in the bow better than having breaks there like they've had in the past. And um, and of course, I think give them a lot of credit last year going to a binary system, I think was a big deal. Um, you know, we didn't really have any magic mega tuning issues with them. I mean, you so I, I have not <coughs> like toys draw cycle or not, they're not their back wall. No, I have not liked their back wall till last year. Yeah. It's smooth. Well, I mean, it's, it's the same. It's, yeah, it's damn near a reverse, reversed elite cam. Instead yeah. of having the module on the left side for a righty bow, they're on the right on the side, side for a righty bow. Exactly. I mean, it's damn near the exact same system. It feels the so much better. Is the same. Yeah, and it feels good. I mean, it draws good. I think I think it draws smoother than it holds probably amazing. probably smooth. One of the smoothest drawing cams in the market, right with Elite, mm-hmm. as far as the smoothness and the feel of the cam at the poundage it's at. Mm-hmm. So they're they're pretty solid in that. But yeah, them coming out with seven bows though, I think was kind of risky. But I mean, we'll Got see what happens. Seven bows, and they haven't even gotten their bows from last year out. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll digress on that. Preach. Um, I can say that because uh, PSC's both come out next week. I think they're out. I think they just released. They just released today or yesterday. The time of mm-hmm. us recording this, right? So what we know about them is, that, and we haven't got our hands on it yet, but there's a new knock on bow, new camp. It, yeah, essentially they took. So they, I'm sure most people have seen or at least looked at uh, the Levitate. Mm-hmm. Uh, looked at a picture of it. They essentially took that cam on the Levitate and put it on the EVL. The EVL, stuff. the Mach yeah. One, or right? They took the Mach One and put it on the EVL. The yeah, levitate, so the that one. levitate has a, has a different uh, different, different cam. cam on it. It's actually so it's, smooth. It's a, I mean, it's still an evolved cam. It's just a different shape to add a little bit more speed to it. Yeah, I mean, and it's a simple way to put it is that, and they put that on the EVLs. 
And the EVL, the only, knock on it, the only knock on the EVL was it was slow. It was a little slower. Yeah, it was. I mean, you it, shot it for But God years. dang, was it accurate, like dude. God, I love well, that Well, I bow. tested every bow in the shop, and it was as close <coughs> by 18 That bow was, was, but God, was it accurate. That was one of the most accurate bows I think built last year, personally. Yeah, so they got the 2022 Evo XF. Yeah. And it's an XF30, 345 to 337. Race height is six and three quarter. Wow. 29.625. Uh, draw length goes from 27 and a half to 31 and a half. And the short goes 25 to 29. And it comes in at 4.3 pounds. What's it? IBO? And that's a 30. The IBO is 337 to 345. That's good. That's actually 30, Yeah, the 33 is 332 to 340. Same brace height, 33 inch. Yeah. And it goes from 28 and a half to 32.5. We have to get our hands in that and see what it's like. Doug had his levitate in here. I didn't think it drew near as smooth as the regular Evolve. No, not even close. I mean, the reason it's faster is because it's more of an oblong shaped cam. Whereas, I mean, if you take that flat part off the back of the cam, that cam is essentially a round wheel. Right, exactly. As, As far as the string track goes. Correct. Yeah. So, and that whenever you're changing the shape of that string track, especially when you're making it taller and skinnier, right. it's going to make that bow draw harder, but go a hell of a lot faster. Hell of a lot faster, yeah. Then I think Bowtech, you know, I haven't got my... Yeah, we did have one in here the other day. I seen it. I had a customer bring it in, and you know, they did a lot of cosmetic stuff to their solution series. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of mega changes on the bow, um, technology-wise. And, and, of course, you know, Matthews, I, you know... Same cam for how many years? <laughs> Well, they put two little, two little. They put the little. So yes, yeah, so you can work on it yourself. You don't have to put your Allen wrench in there. <laughs> Need that one. Let me know how it goes. Yeah, they integrated their site package and did that. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm surprised a, a, with how wide these risers are now. Like, I'm surprised somebody else hasn't done that. What's that? Stick put the site in the middle. Have to be able to do the integrated side deal where they have. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Have yeah, the yeah. dovetail. That is pretty sweet. Or, <coughs> or you're doing the Picatinny. Yeah, but you know all the site manufacturers have had to increase their right travel because being in the center, you moved it so far mm-hmm. left. The typical site will not work. A lot right. of sites yeah. will not work. It will not work. Mm-hmm. Well, because we're all going to or companies are going to wider and wider, wider risers, which correct. means they're getting more, and more, more and more offset, and to, the offset right. to the right. Correct. So they're getting rid of right adjustment and adding more left. Yep. The amount of the amount of uh, extra pieces we had to order for black gold. Oh my god! Because they'd all run out of left adjustment is crazy. Every one of them, yeah. But you do that, you know, and we go to that. You're essentially going to a riser that was hell on the Matthews. They're like all of an inch and a half, and then some. To you know, if you're referencing it to where a normal sight would bolt onto the riser, you're going from damn near two inches to less than a half inch. Yes, so. there's not enough travel <laughs> when you do that. There's no doubt about it. So, yeah, that's, um, Matthews, I thought, you know, I don't know, and I hate, I'm not, not bashing them, they just did as little. They did as little as any company out there, you know, and they're, some of the stuff they, and quite frankly, I think adding the quick change for strings and cables in their cam is the most dangerous thing that you could have ever done. Like, I don't want my customers, unless an emergency in the field. Doing their own thing. Doing their own thing. If anything, as a, as a manufacturer, I wouldn't want that to happen, because then if that customer puts those strings and cables on, can't get it to tune and shoot right, uh-huh. and he does his own work, what's he going to think in about three or four months? What's well, most piece of crap? Yeah. I'm going to sell it and get a Hoyt. <laughs> I'm going to sell it and get a Elite. I mean, and that's just the way it works. You can't, I mean, but then again, there's a lot of, well, God, I don't know if I want to go down this rabbit hole. 
No, I'm not going to do it. Jesse's just smiling. Welcome to the show. I'm not going to do it. I mean, but there's a lot of rumors running around on what Matthew's Endgame is. And I think some of the things they're doing, they're heading that direction. Let's put it that way. I'll I'll digress and shut up right there. Um, But yeah, uh, Bose this year, I mean, there's, like I said, I'll give two companies a lot of credit because they did a lot of work this year. Everyone else, yeah, cosmetic. I'm excited about that PSE. I want to shoot it. I want to shoot the 33. I love PSE, Bose. I think they're great. So I'll be excited to just play with that also. My shoulder hates them. <laughs> if we get one before we go to Arizona, I'll play with it. Yeah, that's true. Might piss Blake off. But the, only, the only one that I was curious about was that uh, inline. Yeah. But I haven't touched it. Still haven't touched it. Come on, you got to shoot it once. It shoots good. It's yeah. worth it's worth the shot. <laughs> I, I'm more interested now that we were talking about that 7-inch brace height on the, on the Envision. Oh, me too. And, I, and well, and that's where I think the PSC being close to that, mm-hmm. uh, it, it intrigues me with the numbers, the speed numbers you just quoted. If they hit anywhere near that with that six and three quarter. Yeah. That's going to be a bad day. It's usually not far off on there. They don't fib too far on their numbers. Though. Yeah. Let's Pretty talk close. about, so I want to kind of switch gears because it's been in the back of my head because I'm kind of excited to hear what he's got to say. You mentioned talking about those cam changes on that result. Yes, I have mm-hmm. it right here. And uh, I'm kind of well, anxious I, to hear. So I don't, I don't know why I thought about it before, but like I remember... In reference to this, like, you know, how some pro shooters, you know, I would say most pro shooters modify their equipment in one way or another. Oh, yeah. And all this and how, like, there were some companies, I know when I shot for Matthews, like, dude, I damn near got yelled at for putting a Hoyt cable slide because it didn't chew through my cables and crossing them underneath the cable slide on a C4. Yeah. And not running it straight factory. And I remember thinking just like, dude, how... Like, there ain't no way Rory ain't going out with a set of tailor-mades like that he bought off the shelf at Dick's. Nope. Like, why? I don't understand why it's that big of a it's deal, that big of a deal yeah. for a lot of us guys to change stuff. And I, and I get that we got need to be able to sell, you know, sell the equipment that a regular consumer is going to buy. Right. But it's a lot easier for me to sell it if I win tournaments with it. Exactly. And it's easier for me to win tournaments when I change it to make it fit the way that I need it to fit or Correct. do what I need it to do. So... I find it odd that some com- some companies are not super okay with that. And luckily, yeah. Elite's been, I mean, they're super cool. But hell, I got on my victory. I got the modified stops. I got modified stops. It's a limb stop only bow. And I remember looking at me like, well, well, shit, there's drilled holes on here. They're all tapped. Why can't I just screw a limb, screw a cable stop in there? Right. So we built, I built Fabricated. Fab- yeah, fabricated. Out of freaking aluminum. Yeah, sheet metal. Aluminum sheet metal. and Cut them with a the Dremel. Well, no, those ones I sniffed with uh, Jesse. You leave plate cutters, but he's he's going to do some work. Oh, okay. But I mean, I find it odd that some you know, our, you know, getting back to archery, the fungi industry, we kind of eat our own a little bit. But how you know, mo- I would say ninety nine percent of shooters mess with their stuff or have it not necessarily way out of factory spec, but they but it is one hundred percent different. Yeah. How I remember the year Kyle won. Kyle won Vegas, the stops on his bow were like, I mean, they were massive and stuck out like crazy far. He had, I don't know if he fabbed them or had somebody fab them, but he had his own custom uh, cable stops on his PSE the year that he won. Uh, and I'm, as far as I know, PSE is okay with some of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, a lot of guys. Well, are PSE changing. is one of the companies that allows you to order that bow in a million different configurations. Right, you if they call, have the parts, if they have the parts, they'll, they'll build, it. they'll build a Franken bow. For yeah, them, exactly. Kind of, which I mean, that's super cool. Hell, I remember, uh, Gala data back like way back five or 10 or 10. So years ago, 
she had a mojo riser with x4 slims and like uh, what was the the x not the evo cam it, was, it wasn't uh, an evo it was a fixed, it was about. whatever they had to to compete with the spiral at right the time. right but it x3 had or three or four different bow compo- bows molded together into one into like one it was bow. literally she had two the only two that were ever made in that specific configuration right so i mean it's cool that some companies allow you to do that but then the other companies are like if you change something don't don't tell anybody yeah don't advertise that but we, i mean we're all all different shapes all different sizes all different draw lengths all different peep heights like i don't i don't know it's odd to me that we don't there isn't more of that going on or more education about that going on to get things to work well for you and i get a lot of it is most guys are never going to need that you know you say that but you know at the end of the day you know we know some guys in here for arrows for example we'll put other arrow components on arrow shafts or vice versa because they're better systems Mm -hmm. out there Uh, now granted you'll never see a picture probably with the front end of that arrow right per se because i know a couple guys in here that do it um that are shooters for ours and they're sponsored fully sponsored but um It goes back to that, I think, and it's kind of like what we talked about with dealers and everything else. Everyone is so concerned about their their silo, you mm-hmm. know, and they got and you got to stay in it instead of using what's the best in the industry around it. And let's be honest, let's give an example: stock car racing. It's called stock. It's called stock car. But think about it: how many parts on that car you can you buy at Chevrolet? The, uh, zero. Zero. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the maybe the Ford sticker. Maybe <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, gas cap. I mean, seriously, it's not, uh, and, and we've embraced that as a consumer. Mm-hmm. They've embraced it as a manufacturer or as a, as a competitor. Um, and, and honestly, Jason, let me ask you a question. A guy goes out there and shoots a competitive five gun, or I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about here, but an AR for long distance or a three gun, or goes out and shoots a, a two mile course, you know, for long range shooting. Mm-hmm. How much of his gun stock? Dude, ARs are the Honda Civics of the gun world. Seriously, exactly. Change anything and everything. Every single little thing. I mean, my very first, and this <clears> is not even going into competition. My very first 300 blackout I built, I had a Red X Arms barrel, an arrow upper and lower, a Timney trigger, a freaking Magpul backstock. Just you know, I've already named four or five manufacturers. Then you start getting into um, bolt carriers and all that stuff. You're you're putting at least ten manufacturers in mm-hmm. one. And one well, gun. What's crazy about that stuff too, and how little of that transitions into archery, but you could take a DPMS upper, uh Remington lower. Wow. Braden, Braden Cummings wow. is playing Candy Crush. <laughs> <laughs> you could take, you take a DPMS upper, a Colt lower, uh I don't know what are other big uh AR like uh manufacturers out there i mean you can go with palmetto state palmetto you can go state, daniel defense palmetto state i mean you could take 10 different parts from 10 different manufacturers and bolt them all together and yeah. build one gun out of it right whereas archery the only industry standards that we have are a 5 24 stabilizer hole and rest mounting bolt and you know whatever the spacing is for mounting you know, your site and that is <coughs> literally it i was sitting there thinking about this and i think the only aftermarket part that i can remember and i could be totally off here that has impacted just the bow, just the riser bow, you know, not the sight and everything else, is Bomar stops. Yeah. Bomar came out, and this is not Josh Bomar. This is Bomar way before Josh. 
created the stop systems for the mm-hmm. Hoyts, for the Hoyts, and then he got put on the PSCs eventually. Um, and it was a flat stop because we didn't have, nobody shot uh, limb stops then, it was all cable. Mm-hmm. And that was probably what I can think of, the only aftermarket part that the, we attached to a boat. probably one of the very few. Very few. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I was sitting here racking my brain thinking, and that's kind of crazy to say that. Because you know damn well there's some engineers out there probably designing some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. But it's a, it, to your point, it'd be a waste of time to take it to market because no one's going to do it. Yeah, if it only works for one specific item, every you know, yeah, I mean, everything I've, with every bow is always different. Yeah, I've so. seen guys out there on their primes, on their dual cam primes, they were using uh, nuts. Yeah, we would. Use, I remember uh, actually, I remember helping somebody else do that. We would take take a yeah, like the hex nut, mm-hmm. and literally run those in between the cams. To use, use as those cable, as cable stop. stops, yeah. yeah, yeah. To be able to build a limb, or to be able to build a cable stop for those. Boats. And I think there's a lot of stuff you can do. Just people probably one are not educated on it, or are scared of doing it. No, they're scared of doing it yeah. because the manufacturers well, make you freak out. Yeah, your bow's gonna blow up. Well, hell, if you, any, if you look at every manufacturer, if you change the strings on it, the warranty. Oh right. yeah, exactly. And string manufacturers are viably gaining ground in marketing. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, you're busy. <laughs> Very. I mean. There's no doubt about that. But I mean, I get I get shit all the time for using a Dremel tool, man. I, oh, he's the king. You should be sponsored I, by Dremel. I, I told be. him that should be my number sponsored one. That by should Dremel, be one of his Home corporate Depot. sponsor because his releases don't look anything like the release they were designed to be. His cams definitely don't look the same. We need to push for Home Depot to sponsor him and Dremel. Dremel. I'm just Dremel, waiting for Home him. Depot to, and JBL. I'm waiting for Elite to come out with a really bad grip that he's got to tear up. <laughs> I, I haven't dremeled a riser. Yeah, that's, that's about the I'm only saying. thing I have. I thought you did a, a Matthews. You never dremeled a Matthews riser. I thought you did. Well, I did the grip. Yeah, that's what I'm but saying. The grip. The, yeah, but I pulled. That's a. It's a piece of rubber. Oh, I thought you did the. No, metal. I didn't do. I've, you didn't dremel. I'm a little nervous about doing that. You I just, don't want to take that material off. That's like the biggest <laughs> flex point in the whole bow. You just tapped. Uh, well, I mean, I've done. Damn near all of us have done when the when Jesse first showed up to Vegas with that his stabilizer mounted in the lower bar on the oh yeah on the Hoyt everybody everybody drilled tap that right there hole out yeah. and put a five sixteenth thread through yeah that he thing. did that he did it a couple of years ago in his elite victory yeah all my I guess all that's I guess you took the string stop out and, and I, yeah I tapped yeah. that so I can mount my bar well we used to do on the Matthews Monster MR sevens we uh, I would drill and tap a screw hole based off, um, and it was draw neck specific. So once you did it, you were screwed. Mm-hmm. But where I drew off and then where I would put a tap of screw inside of a uh, socket head cap screw. So when that cam rotated around and my string hit the end of a sight, it hit that screw and stop it dead in its tracks. Give it a hard wall. So, okay. Her uh, ex-girlfriend of mine, her dad did that with a nylon screw. So you could back it in and out and change the lead off. Oh, yeah. Better. Me and Rod figured out a better way to do that with the Martin bows when he was shooting them. We took a a dowel press and stuck dowels in them. Dow, dowels in them? Yeah. Just drilled a hole. So because that, because that module is so long and it's yep. actually rounded in yeah. there. Yeah. So we would just figure out where he wanted to be at to get the holding weight right on a drawboard, take and mark it with a Sharpie and yep. just punch a dowel well, through there. And it the, worked. That thing worked great. Well, the good thing is, is it happened enough, like for Matthews, that the next year they came out with a rock mod for the mm-hmm. MRs, for the Monster Series, you know, because they thought, wait a minute, we better do this. Obviously, people want it. Duh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're tired of a inch and a half long spongy wall there matt please so yeah it's crazy but you're right um there's way there's not enough uh there's a lot of innovation out there that's done behind the scenes by you guys mm-hmm. by some of the shops how we do it every day well um that we don't advertise well and this goes <clears throat> back to the you know like 
you know, I told the story about George arguing with the engineer over a grip or something or yeah. other, yeah. you know, the engineer saying, well, it's got to be this way because the computer says it's got to be, well, like, right. yeah, I've shot the, I've shot these bows for 25 years. Like yeah. I know what they're supposed to do and it don't do that. You don't do that. Do this. Exactly. So, and I, and obviously like you're a hell of a lot smarter when it comes to the engineering <laughs> side of shit than I am, but I've also done some weird shit with bows that probably shouldn't have worked or maybe I shouldn't have done, but I figured out something that made it work better. But it works better. And that's what... You know, we tell guys all the time, and I tell, tell customers, because sometimes, you know, we have an open work area where we're working on a bow. You can see it. I mean, people mm-hmm. are watching us. And, you know, I've seen customers when we're starting to shim a cable guard, and they look at you like, yeah, that was, uh, that. what are you doing? You know, I'm like, trust me, dude. Well, it's Old so funny. Old school tuning trick. That was, it's good. <laughs> I think I was the one that showed you that. On yeah, the you did. Exactly. Because they're notorious for that right there. <sighs> Easiest way to get rid of that. <laughs> After you've run out of room to shim the cam right and don't have any more room to tighten that guy down, shim it. it's just piece of plastic. Add a little more, add a little more length to that. Yep. Bump that thing over. Give it some more load. And we used to shim rockers all mm-hmm. the time on Matthews. God, we did it all the time back in the day. Shim rockers, get more poundage, get the limb to flex a different direct deflection because I wanted it to pull harder on this side and mm-hmm. tune it essentially. Because now could, you have a set system. Now you got a set system on the leads, and you know even I'll, I'll give Botech credit there. Mm-hmm. Their cam alignment system is badass. Yeah, that. Uh, uh, Deadlock cam. The deadlock whatever, cam. Yeah. Whatever it's, it's called. So they've built that. They've built it's that into the system. A, it's essentially a, a shim. I mean, it does a the same thing. Shim. As, yeah, it does the same thing as, yeah. you know, putting your bow in a press, punching punching the axle out and changing these stupid paper shims out all over right. the place. Now it just allows you to loosen a bolt and turn it. Turn it. And it goes, whoop. Yeah, that's another easy one to tune for sure. So now I just want them to send bows out with ceramic bearings. God. That, okay. That's a fun one. Don't get me started. You got a, a $1,200 Oh, bow, no, it gets worse. Yeah, wait till $1,200 bow, and and every company on the market's guilty of it. Yes. $1,200 bow, and you 35 got cent bearing. $6 worth of component, or $6 worth of hardware. On no, it. and he's going to go even farther. Yeah, Chinese hardware. That's absolute so garbage. A lot of it's Chinese, yeah. It is. All those set screws are bought. People don't realize, and I know this because I was in the high strength fashion. Well, the torque screws are the first ones to strip. Yeah, because they're all made in China. Correct. And the other thing, I can't get across some of these guys. Like, I, I'm as a high-strength fastener guy, I even told Prime, how many cam screws did we replaced last oh year? Oh, God. Because they actually made the screws too good. Dude, I'm they, telling they, you. They, they were super fine thread. I, I'm sorry, but when you build fine thread, fine thread holes, they back out easier. Yeah. Coarse, coarse, coarse. They don't come apart. I mean, we don't, we don't use them that way on aircraft. I mean, mm-hmm. it's... You need to have strength and rigidity, oh, and know. you know, yeah, yeah, you know. And it always blew me away. I mean, yeah. yeah, the fine thread looks cleaner. It is cleaner. It looks good on paper on on the on the print. I mean, they don't stay tight. No, our transmission bolts are ten thousand dollars a piece. <laughs> exactly, yeah. landing gear bolts. Yep, ten grand a piece. Some exactly. big titanium bad boys. I'm I'm saying it right now. The company out there that offers. A hardware upgrade package for each bow that comes out, Dude, they're going to make have, a killing. So it's funny you say you that. Philip Hall, Philip Hall has been begging me. He said, you need to create a titanium hardware kit for every bow and offer it as a Fire, sales Fire thing. Knock did that for a long time. Did they really? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, dude, it would change and they the went industry. out, didn't they? What's Are that? they still around? No, Fire Knock's still sure here. Yeah, George is still around. I'm pretty sure you can still buy them. You might Because I know, them. actually, Dan, uh, he has a work for PSE. He, he told me if you take... I think he said you could cut old, not quite half a pound if you change out everything from their oh, I bet. from their quarter uh, pound stainless to the titanium stainless to the titanium fire knock system stuff. And that was on like I think it was the the evolve the original evolve series bows. So this was yeah. years ago. But yeah. yeah. Even then I 
I mean, we look at newer bows, especially with how how aggressive some of these cams are getting and, you know, maybe not aggressive from a draw cycle perspective, but from how much energy they're putting out. And man, they're, you're putting $30 or $3 bearings in these cams. And the bearings, the the bearings time, would kill me. That is probably one of the <coughs> easiest things to upgrade. Yes. And one of the first things that goes bad. Yes. Those are, I'll, throw, I'll throw Matthews under the bus. There was probably four or five shooters at Field Nationals this year shooting in crazy high heat, a lot of humidity, huge temperature fluctuations. Burn the 60 oh, degrees those. in the morning and 90 degrees in the afternoon with 100% humidity. So there were four or five guys that had bearings blow up. And, and it's so simple because yeah. th- what's happening, the grease caps are expanding and contracting because the temperature changes and the dryness. And yeah, they're warping. And they're warping. And when they warp, mm-hmm. the bearings can slide in and out and they're gone. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and those are industrial grade bearings you can buy, like you said, for like a dollar. Yeah. I mean, I mean you just, how much is that bow? Uh, Thirteen to $1,700 with, with a set of berries in it that costs like three bucks. Honestly, if your bow is shimmed, <coughs> it has shims that are protecting it, just pull those those covers off. The grease caps off? Yeah. yeah. Put a little bit of... Uh, I, I use uh, cleaning lube and protecting oil uh-huh. that I use on guns. Put it back in and it's good to go. Or go with ceramics. Yeah, ceramics are the way to go. It'll it'll outlive the bow. But yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, but the, that's... It's, just, it's such an odd thing because you could... I... I you, me as somebody who's curious about a lot of weird shit, it makes me wonder if you spent six dollars on a set of bearings that were twice as good than the shitty ones they put in there to begin with, how much money would they end up saving? In by, warranty, yeah, in warranty work by a not having to replace them and the cam or the you know the labor. with all that different stuff plus the labor to you know send that in, send it back. You know, I to me Huge. it seems like such a simple a simple fix for some of that stuff yeah. that is not used yep. one bit. Nope. No, now, but it, like I haven't like torn apart every bow out there and I don't know exact, I don't, I know next to nothing about bearings, but I know if I look at the numbers on the side of them with a magnifying glass, cause my eyeballs ain't that good and type it in and go look on, you know, Harbor Freight or Granger or something like that. I can buy a 500 count box for $30. Exactly. Well, and to go even further into that is when they're designing, and I'll, I'll bash on the lead a little bit on this one. Those little bitty, small three thirty second heads That's... set screws in those goddamn cams that are carrying a hundred percent of the load at full draw of the cables and it takes you what 30 seconds to strip one mm-hmm. i mean literally if you're if your element isn't perfectly new you're screwed and how many have we drilled out primes elites i mean i've drilled every, out every so many of them and it drives me nuts because all you got to do is put a bigger headed screw in there give it some more torque value and it's fixed instead the littlest, I mean, three thirty seconds of an inch. And I guarantee you the torque ratio value on that, where it should be, you're not getting there. And let's be honest, they probably are evaluating off of, you said it at 29 inches, you never change it again. <laughs> well, how many times we change that cam on a test bow? A, a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Demo Dude. bow gets changed to Constantly. And I mean, we get drill, we have drilling them out constantly. And that's the other thing that drives me crazy. They're, they're misapplying the actual faster that should be in there based off load, load and torque value. And that drives me nuts. I mean, drives me absolutely nuts. I think the Torx heads help that scenario a lot because the Torx heads are definitely stronger. They don't strip out near as easy as a... No. As a uh, just sucks they, they have to carry a different out, tool. They strip out really easy when you don't realize that the bigger one is a T20, not a 15. And <laughs> yeah. within the first 30 seconds of a new bow getting here, you strip that bolt out. Oh, yeah. It's done that. That's user error. So, yeah, for sure. But that's that's a great point, Bridge. And you you definitely hit the head nail on the head. Maybe some of these manufacturers are listening. And hell, if I build a bow, I just market that alone. 
and I would get more dealers to buy my crap than right off the jump street. Oh, I ain't got to screw with that no more. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Buying it. So send an additional upgrade package. You know, maybe that's something we need to look into. Cause I actually, Philip had me talked into doing that one time. He said, take the time, sit down and respect out the screw. And I know where to get those screws as far as in the U S yeah. from very, very good companies, you know, that are uh, known for building high strength fasteners. And my God, you could, yeah, that honestly, a bolt kit on a bow would average around 50 to 75 bucks if in, that, in yeah. titanium. But I will tell you the amount of headaches you've removed would be 100%. Well, Hamsky does it with the rest. They offer an, an <coughs> a, a separate uh, component kit. Really? It comes with every screw that's on that rest. Hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep, just in case they uh, just in case they they rust out well, or, or there's strip nothing out or worse to have. I mean, and we used to say this in the aircraft industry, and I know you know this saying. I've had I literally had a general call me one time. We were working. We had parts being held up on a KC-135 refueling plane down at Kelly Air Force Base. I'll never forget this. This guy calls our corporate office, which ends up giving it to me because I was director of operations for that at that time. And this guy is literally chewing my butt from one end to the other. I got a $30 million aircraft sitting on that goddamn tarmac for a $350 screw. Yes, sir, you do. And I mean, he just was beside himself, but he's right. Mm-hmm. How many times do we have a screw fail on a 15 to 17 hundred dollar bow and take us out of commission? Mm-hmm. It happens all the damn time. I mean, uh, a screw that's worth what? A quarter? Yeah. Not even. Not even. Yeah. Chinese hardware dime. Mm-hmm. So with Hamsky doing that, that's very insightful. And I think that once again, if I ever had a chance to design my own bow, I would definitely be, those parts would be shipped with the bow to keep in a kit that you can keep in your, your pouch. So if I'm out there in the range and at Hamsky rest, you know, like you said, with them doing it, you just put a new screw in it, you're back shooting again. Exactly. Instead of having the whole system fail because of one screw. Yeah. Uh, definitely. That's taking notes. Take notes. Jesse's Jesse. like, I ain't worried about it. There ain't no bearings in a recurve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Just got to put a little twist, adjust a brace, and you're good to go. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, that's always been one thing to me that just makes... Man, it makes no sense. Either. Yeah, it doesn't. Literally up your overhead by less, like less a than three percent. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you got to be you got to save money by not having to cut out new cams, replace cam bearings, replace <coughs> them bolts because they. Hell, I've I've seen horror stories of uh, like I, well, hell, it was elite when they first came out with the Victor. I had a buddy who had one, and he had like three limb bolts because they use that that quarter inch. Uh, bolt. They were one of the first yeah. companies to go to that quarter inch. Yeah. But to where the head of that screw, the head of that limb bolt, like popped right off. Yeah. Popped off like a champagne cork. Yeah. And they had to replace limbs, cams, strings. <coughs> right. Plus the part. I mean, obviously they ain't spending any money on the right. on the bolt itself, but they right. had the bolts. Right. You know. So, because normally, you, especially in something with this much pressure, you know, between the strings and limbs and all that stuff, if you have one thing <coughs> fail or usually have one thing fail and it's going to cascade into two or three or four. You, you, you wouldn't believe how much, how much um, ridicule is placed upon the supply chain managers that would probably be in charge of buying parts for Bose. And, and I say this cause I, we had to deal with this in the aircraft industry. It was shocking that the bean counters would, would look at high volume, low price products mm-hmm. as a way to save money. 
instead of looking at the high price, low volume products. And fasteners were one of the easiest. Let's be honest. I mean, we did a retro change out on the KC-135 aircraft. There's about 10,000 fasteners of different sizes. And there might be, you know, let's say eight, eight, seven to $8,000 worth of fasteners. Well, you got, you know, 54 aircraft in a fleet. You do that math, you amortize it out. Well, you know, you save 3%. That's a big number. But in the overall grand scheme of things, to your point, it's a goddamn screw. You know, we're trying to save money on that. Instead of looking at a fuel line, you know, let's say a, a, a copper fuel line, broke line that's going from, you know, the, the, the tank to the, to the fuel sending unit. And they might, and there's 54 of them being changed out a year. We save $4 from a supplier. That's a bigger hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't have a general rip, rip in my tail because a fuel line system is not being serviced because of one copper part. I mean, that's critical. Mm-hmm. He can't wrap his head around a bolt. That's just mind-boggling to, <laughs> to him, you know. But it happens. Oh god, it happens all the time. It happens. it happened to us all the time. I can't even tell you. Oh, how many copters! Times. It's the worst. Yeah, roto parts on copters. I mean, are the I've worst been I've been grounded for an O ring. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I can I can only imagine our boy. But but it's sad because the bean counters look at those product lines more. Well, yeah, and they're more ridicule because. It says it'll say quantity. Yes. 100,000. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah. And that's stupid. And I bet that's what's happened in Bose. I mean, to be honest. The yeah. small parts will, will hold you up. Yep. Exactly. How long are we on? Forever? Yeah. Probably not wrap it up. I know. I feel what like did we learn? I'm dying today. This is this cedar fever. Jesse's got to go shoot something. Are you going hunting? I was going to, but. He's going to go shoot something with his. Like, oh, he's going to be a little late now. With his trial broadheads or something? No. So you know what Jesse was going to do? He actually, did you, you, I think you finished building this bow. Building the Darton uh, Ranger to, oh, go, yeah. to go kill a deer with. Yeah, I put it at 30 pounds, 22 inches, but then Rob was the same. Same setup. So yeah. he was your dummy. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like I said, I he was, he was proved to everybody it. that it could be done. And that's yeah. the whole reason I posted that. Yeah. Oh. 27 pounds. 22 inch. Mm, right. You just got to have a good arrow set up. And um, next, set up a Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> got 30. Let's not, let's not get carried away. I know, right? Um, I know one thing we've, I did get requests from a couple guys out in actually North Carolina looking at tech stuff. Okay. We may end up rehashing some stuff from the past, like on an indoor setup. We got an indoor season in full swing right now. Vegas coming up. But there's some new products out there, you know, that we can talk about, like the UV3, mm-hmm. which we didn't get a chance to talk about last year, you know, as an indoor possibility um maybe talk about some new things that are in the industry to help you become a better archer for this coming up season um Colin will know a little bit more as far as what came products. out of ata yeah, yeah different products that came out of ata right kind of look at some of that stuff and yeah we could talk about setups and stuff heck i'm i'm working with a guy out of oklahoma right now i mean a guy's i just did a video conference with him this morning on shooting and sent him a couple bows so we're starting to do some uh off-site coaching and stuff and looking at his shot this kid i'm gonna tell you what's gonna be a stud he's got a lot he's self-taught and his shot solid him he's just got some things he needs to fix but um but maybe you guys you know we're gonna get some more technical stuff we've been ranting about a lot of political bullcrap it's probably six months uh and i don't want to talk about we can beat that with a dead horse but i know a lot of people are hungry for the technical content we'll get down that road and uh, yeah we'll start talking about Maybe some bow. Well, I know one thing we're going to do. We couldn't do it this week because you had an appointment this morning, but we're going to do a mobile type 
and go podcast out and, and go out the back and shoot. Yeah. But we can get Bridger on camera and talk through some of the shooting techniques that he does and see it live or see it in action. Mm -hmm. I think that'll be great for the YouTube videos because it'll we'll cover two bases there, YouTube content and podcast content. Yeah. And, uh, and kind of talk through all those in detail and how what we're doing with different things, like with stabilizers, you know, and stuff. And uh, get some more tech tech stuff going on. What down. stabilizer should I run on my bobbly? <laughs> you need a, a broomstick. I, I'm not going to say it. I, I got a good one for that, but I'll keep I'm I'm, waiting. That's, that's extra. I'm just going to go with a broomstick. I haven't said the F word one time. This, and that's he's weird good for you. Because he kept on saying that he's going to go in here and he's going to tear it up. Oh, yeah. He's, we all are talking about technical stuff. That ain't me. That's he's not mild. my wheelhouse. You know, that's bullcrap. You're a lot more technical than you give yourself credit for. I'm a redneck. I'm technical. Well, Dude, you've tested more arrows than every This guy right here, target archer he should have went to school to be an engineer. He screwed that up big time. And you know enough to be dangerous. Never too late. I mean, period. I know enough how to blow a bow up pretty easy. Hey, just drop back, let go. We did that with Pete the other day. We had a shower. Especially with an old bow. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. That was we, a golden eagle. We appreciate you listening. Hopefully, we're going to get more content this year out. We're going to commit to that. And not have so much time wasted in between so we can get it out there as soon as possible. So I'll work that, on being a little more a organized with it, too. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, Instead of kind throwing of, shit on the wall. Hey, you know what? Throwing yeah. shit on the wall sometimes is a lot of fun. <laughs> we did that today. So. I dig it. We're going to do a... <clears throat> whatever happened to Elk Season recap. Oh, God. I don't want to talk about that. That was terrible. We're gonna do a Here, I'll, re gonna, I'll recap it for you. We're gonna this do a year sucked. They hey, killed a lot of grass. Did? So the unit we hunted... Did they do it? No, they, they made it draw only. So, which is... I, I agree with. But I'm going to tell you something right now. If you haven't had a chance to do this, get online. Go to Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Um, they are trying to pass a law or an addendum to the law because of the guy that got killed last year. In, uh, for, he was actually from Texas. He got killed during muzzleloader season. Got shot by a muzzleloader. He was an archery guy. Got killed. I knew right away that they were going to try to pass a wear orange all the time for every hunter law. And they're trying well, it they're right trying now. Well, they're trying to do it just for the week of No, 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 no. They're talking about... I just read the whole thing. Cradle to grave. Well, I just got it from Jared Meyer from ex Vapor Patrol owner, and what I read was cradle to grave. They're gonna they want to run it from September one through November the thirty first. All hunters, because it, because if they don't, they're gonna discriminate against a group class, and they don't want to. You know that can get ugly. Um, so and it's bullcrap because what they need to do and what I put in there, they I need to separate. They need to separate those seasons. You have a cooling off right now. October one is a cooling off period between rifle and archery. Put those damn muzzle Yeah, but they're giving the elk a break. That's what they're doing there. <sighs> I so agree. What, what's going to end up happening is they're going to take, you have four weeks of archery season with one uh -huh. one week in the middle. They're going to take that muzzleloader season and they're just going to shorten archery season is what's going to end up happening. And that's going to suck. You're right. I think they're going to do that. You won't be out there complaining about your, I think the best, complaining about shit for three weeks instead of four weeks. Yeah, well, true. I think the best thing for it is just to wear, the best outcome possible is to wear your orange during muzzleloader season. I don't want to do that, but that's that's better than losing a whole week of archery season. But I don't go during It depends on who you are. If that happens, if that happens, the woods will be, you're going to take the other three weeks and compress all your archers in there. Oh, I agree 100%. They won't go. See, but why do I need orange to hunt a high country mule deer? When you, I'm in a basin yeah. full of buckbrush. Yeah. You know, there's a few trees there here and there, but you can already see me because, if you're looking because, well, and here's the other problem with that. Be, and here's why you have to, because you've got a guy and Bridger, I know you and I, I talked about this. I you know. got a muzzleloader that will shoot how far now? Oh, dude, you get a <laughs> muzzleloader. You can, that thing, 500 yards. The, the, 
Dude, a custom smokeless muzzleloader will damn near shoot MOA out to Yeah, but in Colorado, it's still primitive. You have to have, I think... It doesn't matter. You're open <laughs> side. Yeah, Colorado's a little different because you're open side. But it's but still... You, you have to have percussion cap or... I don't, I don't no, know it's, it's just iron sights only. It's iron sights, it's iron sights only. It? That's it. I don't even know if there's a black rifle or a black powder restriction. Restriction, yeah. not. I don't... Uh, I'm not 100% on that. I don't know if you're you allowed get, to use smokeless or not, but... Uh, I know Philip Hall's daughter killed one at 475, and she don't shoot a lot. Mm-hmm. Muzzleloader, custom muzzleloader out of New Mexico, and that's why you need to wear it because you 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 start sneaking through that brush and you got some numb nuts on a hillside. Oh, honestly, there he I'm is. Less worried about somebody at 500 yards looking at me through a scope, rifle scope, than I am some goofball running through the running through the brush with me with an iron sight muzzleloader shooting at the first thing that moves. <laughs> like, and I will like, say that hey. because. Every year in, in Iowa, Iowa, in Iowa, there is people that get shot and during deer season. Yep, or during shotgun shooting season, on turkey season because shooting on movement like turkeys. There's a bunch of people get shot every year during turkey season for the same. Well, yeah, thing. that's because they're jackasses putting fucking turkey heads on their or putting turkey fans on their heads like every shooting on movement. But yeah, exactly shooting on movement. Yeah, and I am. I would be more worried about getting shot by an open sights muzzleloader walking through the timber than I would be somebody yep. sitting well, on top, sitting on the edge of a. Sitting on the edge of a cliff, looking down into a basin with a through a ten thousand dollar rifle scope at yeah. five hundred yards. See that, so that's a great point, and maybe that's the answer. Let us let them put scopes on there. I understand. I understand they're they're what they're trying to do is make it even for the animal. I mean, and I'm sure you guys heard. Well, God, we can go down this this, this rabbit hole for another 15, 20 minutes. But Utah passing the game oh, camera game camera laws. Can you believe that? I mean, that's shocking. I mean, shocking. I mean, Arizona did it last. I don't see why. I just don't. So they actually those I look Montana's at Montana's had that for years though, but there's only during <coughs> during the season. No, just during season. You can preseason up to day one. And honestly, the sad part is you look at that panel of people that made that decision. I'm being biased here. They don't look like hunters. And they're and they're trying to claim that hunting has gotten too easy. Can you believe that? I mean, they look at success ratios at under ten percent for for uh, a a uh, archery hunter. Quite frankly, they're what probably three to six percent. And that's that's too easy for the against the animals. Are you kidding me? So what is the one thing in the last thirty years that's changed archery, like range, being able to shoot yeah, farther? Yeah, rangefinder, like rangefinder, being able to shoot farther. Yeah. So sure. ranging rangefinders probably changed it more than anything. Hell, I'd be more confident shooting shooting an elk at hundred yards with a bow than I would be with an open sight muzzle. Oh, I agree, hundred percent. Hundred percent, I agree. I mean, <laughs> take longer for my bolt to get there, I guess, but yeah. But but we shoot a hundred yards all the time. Yeah, I mean it. I don't ever shoot a muzzleloader. I have one. I you don't ever shoot one. You want to do that? Just do a do a Missouri doesn't have a primitive season. Yeah. You primi- have primitive muzzleloaders, and you can use whatever. Well, that's what a whatever, high, muzzle, that's, whatever the hell muzzleloader. That actually you want is what that actually is what almost every other state does. Ohio does archery season October first. It runs to through February first. You've got. Um, excuse me, through mid-January, and then you've got a one-week shotgun season in there right around Thanksgiving, and then at the end of the season, tacked on the back end, there's a 10-day muzzleloader season. Primitive weapon, they call it. Where you can actually still hunt with a bow, but you can now hunt I, with a with a muzzleloader. I was the same way. There are late, I was late season runs from like December 17th or something through the 10th. Right. And you can hunt with a lower lower, lower weapon. weapon. Can't right. do that you in can, Colorado during muzzleloader season, though. You can only hunt with a muzzleloader. You can't downgrade your weapon during muzzleloader season but in all the other seasons you can like in rifle season right you know the well, crossbow a muzzleloader iowa you can't a cro- you can't bow, you're not allowed to bow hunt at all during shotgun, shotgun. can't do it in ohio now, either granted you wouldn't want to because you'd have 
get shot. Bullets <laughs> whizzing over your head like crazy. <laughs> yes. Dude, I did that one time, and I'll never do I've it heard, again. I've had probably 10 slugs. So have I. So have I. Hit, that's hit a creek bed hate. behind me. Yeah, that's why I hate shotguns. I'll never do it again. Because it's just a bunch of rednecks out there with guns. Dude, it's the Orange Army. So do you think the Orange Impedes animal? No. I no, think I the big either. block does. I think being a big block, like if you could wear orange with like a camo, camo pattern, I think it'd be a lot better. Like if if they say, hey, you know, I don't, I don't even think, I don't even think the block does. I do. Movement. I mean, so you, you go to the, you, you sit in the woods and say I'm fully camoed out and I go like this with camo on, like, like I said, fully camoed out. You're, you can see it, but then I get just a brown shirt and go like this with a block. You're going to see it even more because it doesn't break up. Yeah. So I think it. I think just being a big orange, like I don't deer don't see orange or whatever. But I think being a big block. But here's the bad news. Can you imagine? I can't believe the industry lobbyists from the camo standpoint haven't fought that one tooth and nail because it would kill camo companies like that. Think about it. Why would you? You legally, if you go to Colorado, couldn't wear Kuyu camo. I mean, that's we a have whole five hundred inches of orange. orange. Yeah, but still, this is still it's a whole part of the industry that would get essentially crushed wiped out. Yeah. Wiped out. And now they would have to go to orange, which would be a, you know, a whole other market, of course, to exploit. But have an orange bow. <laughs> you know, that's not a bad idea, actually. You say that I've killed. A is deer that five hundred inches? A deer with an orange bow. You think it's five hundred cubic inches? I can't remember what it you is. You have to wear it. You have to wear really? it. So really? Yeah. Strap, yeah. strap it to your back. I think Iowa technically there's a <clears throat> wrist strap. There's a minimum square inch of orange, but you just have to wear a hat, hat. and a vest. And a vest. Yeah, that's how high I was. See, I could agree with like a. You have to wear a. Uh, orange hat or whatever during our yeah. just something more simplistic what's crazy to me is that so there's no there's no orange law here in texas no. and i'm not aware it depends well if you're I'm not aware land on texas you have to wear orange, but like, draw I, i'm not aware of any any instances in the state and i'm positive that there are but you never hear about people getting killed in texas during no, the no 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 and they're ev- literally every year. There's feeder. probably two to five guys that get shot and killed in Iowa. Hell, two years Hell. ago, there was a guy that got killed on the public ground because where I grew up five and, minutes and, from my and, parents' house. And that's because of the environment they put them in. Like you said, it's the week long Orange Army. You get every you get, swinging retard that. And how drunk are most of them? Uh, I don't know. I never heard of a guy that drank while they did it. it I can tell you at the end of the day, but yeah, but, I mean, and you take a bunch of rednecks that want to kill shit and put five of them at the end of the one block of the timber. Yep. And then you put a run, runner. You put ten of them or ten put runners five of them on the other side of the timber, <laughs> yeah. and they start walking towards yeah. those deer guys drives. Like I mean, you're at you're, you're asking, asking for it. Shot. Oh yeah. At yep. some point. Yep. But no doubt about it. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's just bad bad boot bad. Bad mojo everywhere, in my opinion. But I just, I don't like what the state's going to try to do with it. But we, we all seen this coming a mile away. It's the easy way out. I mean, it's with less, with the least amount of headache for them. But what I, I didn't bring up that whole situation, which was very good to bring up, but they're, they're closing certain units in Colorado again, pushing them to draw. Yeah. And instead of going like over the counter with caps. It needs to happen. Oh, I agree. It's going to make the hunt so much better. I mean, last year when we were hunting, we could have, we had the elk bedded at 80 yards below us, but then the other hunter was, I mean, in order to, for us to kill him, we would have had to go all the way around, come back up. Exactly. Kind of sound funny. Come back up, but there was another hunter on the bottom side, and we right. didn't want to be those Jerks. assholes. Yeah, pushing them out of there. Yeah. Which, no, there's no doubt. Going to draw, I think, is I'm fully uh, supportive of because Colorado's got too many hunters right now. I agree. Way too many. And I'm from Colorado, so. Yeah, it's way too many. No wonder. <laughs> but 
care how much revenue they're going to lose. But you know, yeah, I don't. A big thing. I heard they don't care because pot is taking the place of oh. is is their new highest they revenue just, generating. If they lose substance. They lose seventy five percent of their hunters. They're just going to bump their bump the tag price up by seventy five percent. Exactly. And then it's game over. Yeah, same number. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, we'll shut up. We can talk about that for hours. I'm gonna go shoot shit. There you go, guys. Thanks a lot. We appreciate you. Keep listening. We'll catch you on the next side.